Hi, this is Nick Fuller with Natural Communities Native Plants. You're listening to Q4 Radio Chicago, 1680 AM, and at q4radio.org. The Mike Novak Show starts in 3, 2, 1. Hey there, boobies. You see that smoldering yule log so wet and sticky everyone's gasping for breath while trying to look merry? And... And your Uncle Harold came in as a big jolly bear, and your father shot him. And your little doggie swallowed some of them jingle bells and is driving the whole house crazy. And, and you went sleigh riding in a big blizzard, and you can't find your way home. And while you're wandering in the fields, you get picked up by a big snow shovel and dumped into a truck headed for a nice cold river. And your little toy grocery store went out of business. Is that what's on your mind, boobies? Well, lift your head up high and take a walk in the slash with that dignity and stick to it on this. And you show Mars, you show Pluto, you show the way to get off. You'll never give up, never give up, never give up. That old Christmas spirit, no matter who broke your new bicycle. This is the old philosopher saying, Merry Christmas, cousins, and a hefty doodly dee. Come on, Dunder, come on, Bridget, and a hefty doodly dee. Sandra wants you to keep boobies. the Genesis Art Supply Building on North Elston Avenue, just this side of the concrete encrusted banks of the North Branch of the Chicago River. It's the Mike Novak Show, still Chicago's only locally broadcast deep green gardening and environment program, heard every Sunday on Q4 Radio and at MikeNovak.net. He doesn't own the word green. He merely rents it for a small fee. Here he is, Mike Novak. Are we ready? I think so. I'm still dancing here. Will we play this one all the way through this time? (laughs) Well, this is truly the Christmas show. Oh, there we are. I'm looking at the Twitter handle. Well, that's something else that we'll get to in just a second. Ding. Okay. Hey, it snowed out there. Traffic was nice, wasn't it? Oh, delightful. Yeah. Delightful. Sunshine and salt and wet Edens and Kennedy. Yay. How about that? Boy, we're going to have a great Rick DeMaio report today, aren't we? It's all his fault. But everybody, meanwhile, just get in the mood here. It's Christmas. This is uh, this is our Christmas show. Uh, we didn't warn you, but this is our this Christmas. Is it. This, this is, is it. it. This is as close as we get. And I'm not even going to do. It's a wonderful slice all the way through. Okay. Oh, Aww. Come on, come on. Just remember this, Mr. Trump. That this rabble you're talking. Yeah, oh my goodness! You brought Christmas cookies. Yay! This is the best Christmas Woo-hoo. ever. All right, get ready for the big finish.
Ah, I feel better already. Yay! How about that? So you got here, which is kind of a miracle in itself, isn't it? That's Peggy Malecki. And what I, my, you know my ho- New Year's resolution, because we're, we're also going to be playing a little bit of New Year's songs here. Uh-oh. Christmas and New Year. We're, we're, we're combining them because this is our last show of the year. It is. The last, uh, last new show, definitely. Taking uh, off Christmas and New Year's. Yeah, because you know what? They're on a Sunday, and I just thought, I don't need it. <laughs> I don't need the hassle. I don't need to try to book. You know, it's hard enough to book guests on a Sunday mm-hmm. when they tell you, well, I got church and I got family. You know, can imagine trying to book them on Christmas and New Year's. I got a stocking. Uh, no. Got to plug the tree in. Okay. I got to do that. <laughs> All right. For you folks uh, who have been following us this week, we told you that there was going to be a big announcement to and I Where's I didn't the drum roll. Uh it is number 10. All right, let's uh, I We have a drum roll. I didn't even realize that cuz what I was going to play was number 11. I didn't realize that I had a drum roll, so instead of a drum roll, I was going to play this. Yoko does drum roll. Yoko does drum roll. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's probably how she would do it. That's how she would do it. That's Yoko Ono, and that was her reaction to the election of, (laughs) and I shudder every time I think, the the it, Uh, uh, TOTUS. TOTUS elect. TOTUS TOTUS elect. You're right. TOTUS elect. Uh, but, I still keep hoping. It'll just... uh, no, it ain't gonna. Don't don't put your hopes on tomorrow. No, okay? the rock's been turned over and the toad has hopped out. Yes, exactly. So if you think something's gonna change tomorrow, yeah, go back to bed. Is what I say. Just go back to bed. And if it did, it'd be a great surprise, and it'd just be yay! <laughs> the country's in chaos. Yay! How exciting! Constitutional the, the week, disaster. Constitutional disaster the week before Christmas. Yay! Okay, so. It would be just like him, though, to try and, and, you know, take away from our December holiday surprise. <laughs> the Grinch. He is the Grinch. He is, he is Potter and the Grinch and Terminator and all of them rolled into one. I can just picture us getting that at Mike now. All right. We need to make an announcement here, folks. So, without further ado, let's play this. Kind of a lame drum roll. That was really sad. That was that was. <laughs> Where did you find that? That was awful. That was just like the worst drum roll ever. And all it makes me want to do is uh, thank you, Yoko. That's much better than the drum roll. All right, get Yoko. Stop. Out. All right. Um, Peggy and I have an announcement to make. That's Peggy Malecki, the uh, the publisher of Natural Awakenings Magazine. I am Mike Novak, host of the Mike Novak Show. The announcement, the big, big, big announcement, and we're going to start tweeting and Facebooking and all. Peggy and I are moving to a new radio station. Yay! Yay. It's a big deal. 
uh, for us. And it's a station. And it's uh, actually on the air at 1590 AM, WCGO. And part of the reason we're not doing two shows at the end of the year on Christmas and New Year's is because we're getting ready to make our move. And by the way, let me just say at the outset, my thanks to the people here at Q4 mm-hmm. Radio. Do they get a beer ding? Yes, of course they get a beer ding. They, they get, get a get couple two. of beer dings, all right? They have been so gracious and so generous these last, what, 10 months now? Um, nine months. It's a gestation March. period. <laughs> Uh, and uh, they have just been great, and I want to thank everybody here mm-hmm. uh, who has helped us out in, and and to, to get me live, back on live radio, which kind of led to this thing at WCGO, um, and we start on Saturday, January seventh. Here's part of the big news: I'm going back, back. I've never been. I'm going to Saturdays. Give me Saturdays. a give, give me a beer ding for that. Saturdays at what time? 10 a.m. 10 to noon a.m. on WCGO 1590 a.m. By the way, they're a 10,000 watt radio station, uh, so you can pick them up all over. You can get them in your car, folks. You don't have to fool with the TuneIn app and all that stuff. If you're up in Wisconsin in Kenosha, you can get them. If you're in Chesterton, Indiana, you can listen to us. If you're in Joliet, you can listen to us. Yeah. So uh, all of that good stuff. And uh, now that's just part. So that's just part of the the big surprise because we're moving the Mike Novak show with Peggy Malecki moving to WCGO 1590 AM. I'm just going to keep saying that over and over again. So people get used to it. Saturdays, 10 to noon. The big news uh, about that is the show that's going to precede us. You guys who have followed me uh, throughout the internet wilderness and other places uh, will recognize the name Mighty House. Let's have a beer ding for Mighty House. All right, there's a beer ding for Mighty House. Mighty House Radio is now going to be on WCGO from 7 to 10 a.m., right before the Mike Novak Show, which is 10 to noon, and this all starts on January 7th. Now, one of the things, and let's make sure Mr. Cowgill's there. Ron Cowgill, are you there? Yes, sir. Excellent. Ron Cowgill is here. Let's let's have a beer ding for Ron Cowgill. We're giving out a lot of beer dings this morning, dude. I mean, yeah, you are. Coffee ding, maybe. Yeah. Is that? Are we giving out? Are we? Are we a little too uh, loosey goosey, f- too free with the with the beer dings this morning? I don't think so. Why not? Okay. Let's celebrate a little bit, eh? Woo! Uh, we're getting the band back together, <laughs> which is yeah. so cool. And if it what, ever was a band before, it's the, going to be now. That's right. It wasn't. A, who knows? And what I'm doing right now is I'm going. I just went to my blog post, the Mike Novak Show, uh, at mikenovak.net, M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K.net. I just hit update so that the news. There it is. Did it just pop up? There it is. All right. With that cute With, little logo. Did you see the logo? Go to mikenovak.net, Ron. I'm going right. I'm going there right now. Because uh, uh, Kathleen put together a, a nifty little uh, logo um, that sort of symbolizes uh, the band getting back together at WCGO. There it is. And and the other thing you might see on my page, if you go to MikeNovak.net, we've got a brand new website. Um, it's actually what we did is kind of got rid of the HTML and went to <laughs> WordPress because WordPress is so much easier. 
but you'll see the 20 years logo. This move is just in time for me to celebrate 20 years. Thank you for the ding. On Chicago Radio, talking about green living, the environment, gardening, local food, all that cool stuff. Do you see it there, uh, Ron? You got uh, it. It doesn't look like it's prepared for a cell phone. Oh, okay. And you know what? It doesn't look like it's prepared uh, for. Uh, I just grabbed it this morning. I was working oh. so fast. So, Kathleen, if you want to fix that so that we can see the whole image. The logo's a little, yeah. Yeah, it's too large. I, you know what? I was doing this at 7, like 54 this morning. <laughs> so just because I thought, well, we've got to have something to, to, to announce right away. So you, you can and that s- was right before I texted you that the Starbucks over here was closed. Right, because they had a pipe burst. We almost didn't have coffee this morning, Ron. Oh, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Lord. I mean, how do you do a show without coffee? Uh, it, it, you don't. You just shut it down. You just, you just turn everything off. So, Mr. Cowgill, you're bringing your whole crew over to WCGO, 1590. A.M. The whole, the whole team's coming over, and we'll we'll have everything going from seven to ten, setting the table for the Mike Novak show. <laughs> I kind of like the way that sounds, actually. <laughs> we'll have we'll have the crowds warmed up for you, ready to go. That's it. You, yeah, you're 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 the crowd warmer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I appreciate that. The microphones that. will be warmed up. Yeah, and spit upon. <laughs> and, yes, uh, you know. All, all the bugs will be worked out. Everything will be running smooth. Oh, yeah. Just like all radio stations. <laughs> Everything. All, you know, one of the things that Ron and, Ron and I have learned over the years, it doesn't matter whether you're at Progresso Radio or at Pirate Radio or someplace else. Everything is a workaround. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like that seems to be how radio works. And, and even in publishing, yeah, everything's a workaround. It's a workaround. Right? And in um, home improvement, everything's a workaround. Right, Mr. Cogill? That's it. That's all we're doing. Yeah. We're, all, we're, we're always reacting to the current situation to make things work. <laughs> and, you're so, all, and you're always cleaning up the other guy's mess. Yes. The, the other, and what? the thing is, we're going into a new studio. There's actually people that work there, like during the day and stuff. It's no, really cool. No, no, and, no. Come no. on. I'm not actually, used to that. What am that I going to do? People that work there 24-7. No, I know. And they like have people that actually work there and do things. So the combination <laughs> of working there and doing things is huge. And I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be really yeah. fun um, to to do the shows back to back again. Which we it's been like seven years since we did them back to back or something like that. Maybe even eight years. I don't know. It's been a long time. Uh, that no, not quite I would that say long. Five or six. Really? I mean, we were only together like a year back to back, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. And, until, was, and then they moved us to Saturdays. Right. <laughs> and then they said <laughs> Novak. We're not letting you go to Saturday because you, yeah. you you haven't earned it yet. You have when you get to twenty years, get back to us. <laughs> yeah, then you can do it. Yeah, then you, call can, us. you can be on Saturday. Uh, uh, so, uh, for folks who are not familiar with Mighty House, who might be listening to Q4 Radio and our Q4 fans, um, why don't you explain a little bit about your show? We talk a little bit about home improvement. A little bit, unfortunately, and we do a lot of the. You know, energy efficiency stuff, and and how to how to make your uh, your house more efficient. Uh, you know, and then and by and by mistake, we we pretty much are just goof offs, and we hope you learn something by mistake, and that that's really that's really what the show's about. Well, I think you you compared yourself to the click and clack of the yes. home improvement world. Yes, that's what everybody says. Oh, it's just like listening to click and clack for home improvement. There you so, go. And then Robbie brings some sense to it all. Uh. 
Oh, no. See, and here, so here's what's happening. Mighty House is now going to be setting the table for the Mike Novak show. And Rich and I are only there in support of Robbie. That's it. Everybody tunes in for Robbie. We understand that. We can't interrupt her because we get tons of emails and phone calls saying, quit interrupting her, quit quit being mean to her. So, you know, but yesterday we, we just skipped the tip of the week that Rich normally does. Not one phone call, not one email. We, we just, <laughs> Rich and I interrupted Robbie twice yesterday. We got four calls and seven emails saying, stop interrupting her. So we understand where our, our part is in this whole thing. And- it is to be... Uh, good neighbors, mm-hmm. basically. <laughs> exactly. But but I learned how to put away Christmas lights yesterday from Robbie. So there you go. Yeah. Oh, hey, I'm not saying that what she doesn't bring. She brings a lot to the table. I'm not not disputing any of that. I actually loved that tip about attaching your Christmas lights when you take them down to a board, wrap them around a board, and then when you take them out next year, they're already they're ready to go mm-hmm. and they're not in a tangled mess like. I was dealing with this year. Uh, I had never heard that before. That's a great tip. Mike, where's the challenge in that? <laughs> uh, finding the right size board? <laughs> no. you, you got to take that wad of wires out that's 50 feet long because you've already strung them together and tied them up so that you can just put them back up again. So you got 50 feet to untangle. That's the challenge. Okay. Mine, I'll, I'll let you do that. duct tape on them from last year. Did they too. really? Yeah. yeah? Okay. And, 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 and Peggy and I actually compared notes. We both had strings of lights that where half of them have gone out, which we've mm-hmm. been, I've been using the same string that with half of them out for, I think, at three or four years now. I just, you know, you just get creative about how you string them up so that you don't notice that the, there are lights that are out. Yeah, you just wad that part up. Yeah, then... or something. Yeah. yeah. Stuff if, it under the bushes. Yeah, well, if it's outside <laughs> in the dark, you're not going to see yeah. it anyway because, you know, it's dark green. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> don't Excellent. you don't use that don't use the white strings all right the ones with the white cord use the right. one with the dark cord because mm-hmm. then yeah. if the lights go out you can still use them so uh anyway uh mr cowgill it's uh very exciting to yes. uh to have us back to back again uh i even um decided in the interest of being a good neighbor since we're talking about being good neighbors that i would let you allow me to sleep an extra hour so I can, so, yes. so I can come in at 10 a.m. instead of 9 a.m. Exactly. Yeah. And, and and I do appreciate you because you know I did ride your coattails into this place. I I fully understand that. <laughs> That's right. So Mike gets to sleep. That was in the contract, by the way. Mm-hmm. Mike gets to sleep an extra hour. Yeah. Uh, That's so, good. Yeah. That's really good. Uh, what are we missing? Wait, is there anything else? Well, I think the one of the really cool things, and we started talking about it, is a five-hour block on Saturday mornings. True, yes. w, WCGO bills themselves as Smart Talk Radio, and we are Smart Living Radio, Smart Home Radio. I don't know how we want to, um, Get Smart Saturday. Yeah, yeah get that's, Smart that's Saturday. What, that's what, uh, Wake up Saturday. That's what Ron wanted. He wanted mm-hmm. to call it Get Smart Saturday and use Don Adams and 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 Maxwell Smart and all that. Mm-hmm. But I think they were concerned about copyright infringement and that sort of ah, thing. Bring it on. All, it, any news is good news, right? That's right. Yep. Just spell the name right, which they did not do when I was on WTTW the other week. So, uh, <laughs> so I can't even count that as good publicity. <laughs> uh, what's an extra C tossed into your name? Yeah, really. I mean, does it really matter? 
And, and folks need to know that, uh, and you might have to explain this at uh, WCGO, that you and Rich Cowgill are not related in one of the wor- world's most bizarre coincidences. Right. Yeah, and I'm sure we are at some point, but, you know. From the Mayflower. It's, it's not, we're not direct cousins or brothers or anything like that. So, you know, at that point we stopped. Yeah. And finding out. Right. <laughs> so there you go. That's um, Ryan Cowgill, Mighty House, with Rich Cowgill, with Robbie Earhart. They will be on WCGO 1590 AM Saturday morning, 7 to 10 followed by the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki from 10 to noon. Five hours of smart, what do they call it, smart? Um, smart talk. No, smart, no, not smart. not smart talk. They have a, another thing that they're calling it. Uh, smart living. Smart living. That's it. As opposed to what Casey Tomato said that we can't say on the air. <laughs> Uh-oh. What did Casey Tomato tweeted? Uh, uh, <laughs> we can say that here. <laughs> Well, here, yeah. Yeah. Casey Tomato tweeted, he says, smart ass radio. There you go. So I don't (laughs) usually. Casey, you get a ding. Okay. I don't usually say things like that, but I didn't say it. He did. He just tweeted it. I just just read the tweet. That's all I did. Yeah, you just repeated it. I just repeated it, right? You know, isn't that the way the world works now? It's like nobody's responsible for anything anymore. I, I heard somewhere on the Twittersphere. Exactly. I, and that's how that works. So, and that there are no facts anymore. There are no facts, and um, sure there are. There are plenty of facts. Whatever ones you want it to be right, that's <laughs> those are the facts. That's kind of that's kind of hard in home improvement, isn't it? Uh, I'm, I'm sure. Well, I, if, if you look at all the contractors that we follow and have to fix, no, I, I think it's consistent. Okay. I'll tell you what, before we let you go to give uh, people a, a, a taste of what you're going to do, give us uh, your tip of the week, um, perhaps having to do with the snow we got, with the cold that's out there. Uh, in home improvement land, what are guys like you thinking about and telling people right now? Right now, the, yeah. the, the, the easiest thing anybody can do is go outside before it gets too cold and disconnect your garden hose from the side of the house. It should not be twisted onto the end of your hose bib because that will that if it hasn't froze already, it will. And what it does is splits the pipe inside the house. And the next time you go to use it, you're going to flood your basement. So get the garden hose disconnected. That's how, do, how does it split the pipe? Because the ice builds up inside the hose. Yeah. And then it goes. And if you've got that on there, it will also oh, go. It, it'll it'll work its way into the house. Yes. And it splits the pipe inside the house. And it'll keep going back into the house and keep freezing it. No. Oh, yeah. I had no idea. I think I better unhook my hose when I get home. <laughs> so that's that's the uh, – right now with it really cold, that's one. Open up. Make sure your heat's on. Make sure the doors are open underneath your kitchen sink and your bathtubs that, you know, that are on outside walls. Make sure you've got plenty of heat to those areas right now when it starts getting into the – Sub-zero temperatures, that's when things freeze up, and that's when we start chasing water leaks. I'll bet. Yeah, pipes just start uh, exploding all yes. over the place. Yes. Or leaky, you know, if they don't downright explode. It just it turns into a sprinkler system. It, that's what it looks like. Just think of, the you know, in a commercial building when you see the sprinklers go off in a movie. That's what happens inside your house. That's all. Okay. So the tip of the week from uh, 
Ron Calgill of Mighty House. Uh, I will see you. We've got a lot of stuff to do to get set up for yes. uh, January 7th, and so I, I'll be seeing you really, really soon. Yes, you will. All right, buddy. Thanks Looking for thanks to- for being part of the show this morning, and uh, I'll see you on uh, WCGO on January yep. 7th. Thanks for letting me ride your coattails and set the table for you. <laughs> Eddie, thanks for letting me sleep an extra hour. <laughs> no worries, brother. Okay, I'll talk to you soon. You're on. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Mike. Uh, it, this is the Mike Novak Show, final show here on Q4 Radio uh, in Chicago, 1680 AM, Q4.org. Um, and again, uh, you know, one of the, the cool things about Q4 is they said, I said, well, we're moving. And if in any other radio station, um, you would not be allowed to say that. And it would be the last thing you ever mm-hmm. said. The, the, the plug would immediately be pulled and you would the be. The doors would have been locked. That's right. Um, but here at Q4, they're really cool. Um, John just said, yeah, go ahead. Tell people. Let them, let them know where you're going. And like, so love the people here at uh, Q4 for that, just for their relaxed um, ways. And uh, so um, thank you for the uh, nine great months here. And we're off to uh, to other things in, in uh, Chicago. Get, uh, get my top hat out of the way because uh, she's walking in with bottles of something. Audrey Fisher just walked in the door. I don't know what she's got here. I don't know, but we got klotchkes and bottles. And oh, my goodness. It's some kind of cellar. Wow. She always brings stuff. Oh, is if that she... the mead? Yeah. Oh, lordy. Okay. And I've got my hat. I, I brought this in so that we can take photos yeah. with the hat. I was going to bring the Santa hat, but, yeah, well. All right. Well, so we should let folks know what's on the show now that we've made our big announcement. Uh, but this morning, we still have a real show, and it's going to be a good one. Um, pretty amazing stuff. Uh, we start with Audrey Fisher, who just walked in the door. Um, she is with the Chicago Astronomical Society. You might remember she was on the show in June. We talked about – oh, we'll get you a headset. Oh, there they are. Try those. Um, they're boy, plugged in. They're nasty. They're ratty. They're, they're full. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but they're the only other pair here. Wash These your ears after you <laughs> use them, okay? Wash your ears. Um, can you hear anything through there? We'll, well, we'll, we're not we'll talking. Figure, we, we just there have we to figure out where where it's. Uh, she doesn't have a mic. Where where's the microphone? <laughs> She's going to use this one. I oh guess. my gosh! They took out one of our mics. Oh, they're using it's, it no, in the studio. Yeah, I think. Thank goodness think... we don't have more than one guest today in studio. Lordy, how about that? Okay. All right. Yeah, you can talk right into that mic. Yeah. You know, you got to get close to those. Yeah. How are you? Are you there? No, I always guess wrong. Um, and that's the other cookies. thing I'm going to stop doing is guessing wrong. Now talk to me. <laughs> Testing one, There two. we are. There Just we move go. a little closer it's there. All, I always thought of that was should be mic, I don't know what number. Peggy's is mic three. I've always mm-hmm. thought it should be mic two. It should be one, two, three, four, but what do I know? All right. Uh, Audrey Fisher from the Chicago Astronomical Society was in uh, this very studio in June talking about a proposal by the city of Chicago to swap out, change out 270,000 streetlights. And we were all about getting it done right. Amen. And then suddenly this week there was an announcement that the test program is out there and it might not be exactly what we had in mind. Uh, We're going to talk about that in a second with uh, her and... Dr. Fabio Falci, or you say Fabio. Do you know exactly how it's pronounced, or does it matter? I say Fabio. Oh, you say Fabio. Okay. Mm-hmm. Fabio Falci and... Uh, the one and only. Yeah, <laughs> and, and out of Italy. We're going to Italy on Skype to get him on. Yeah, he's phenomenal. And uh, 
Mariotta, Mario Mota, rather, Mario Mota, MD, a cardiologist at North Shore Hospital in Salem, Massachusetts. Uh, and he's going to talk about the physiological aspects of too much light. Um, so, and I love your badge, I Heart the Dark. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that was actually distributed by the Adler this week. Was yeah, it really? Yeah, their Adler after And they have program. a reason for not, not wanting too much light yes, all over the place. Absolutely. We're dist- in fact, I was, I was at their Adler, Adler Planetarium Sky Show, and I was watching a little boy sitting on his mom's lap looking at the planetarium when they dimmed down all the lights. Yeah. And the little boy pointed up and saw all the stars in the dome but thought they were moons. He says, Mommy, moon 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 because anything he ever saw bright in the sky was a moon and she says no that's a star what's a star he says mommy that's moon all moons so shame on chicago for shame on the world for you know these photos that you see of the earth half of the earth at night Mm -hmm. and they say look at all the twinkle lights, isn't that something? And I think, no, that's that's terrible. That's that's really a crime. We're just, nobody sees stars. I mean, it makes you want to move to Africa, the darkest place on the planet, because, you know, it isn't as developed. It's really a heartbreak. And one of your guests, Fabio, actually completed in June a, the New World Atlas on mm-hmm. artificial brightness. So Right, and that made the top 10 of altmetric they uh and they have the top 100 articles of 2016. I had never even heard of Altmetric, uh, but they're number ten. Yeah, uh, that right. an article about the New World Atlas of Artificial Light Sky Brightness, which we are fighting. I mean, okay, and we're going to have to. And we'll get to this in a yeah. second. We'll discover the, uh, what the issues are and talk about them. But it's a you know because it's part of our real problem here in Chicago. You are sw- you are salmon swimming upstream, Audrey, because we are the murder capital of the country, and people equate murder to to light, you know, if to darkness, I guess. So if they say if there were more light, we wouldn't have as many murders, and of course, there's no correlation. In fact, it's kind of an opposite correlation, isn't Absolutely, it? Absolutely, Mike. That that's the whole issue. Now all the research studies are pointing to more light is somehow connected to more crime. So um, we're really doing ourselves in. It may not be a coincidence that the, we're the most light polluted city in the world, yeah. and that we have the most crime. Yeah. All right, we're going to get to that in in just a second. We got to give those guys a call. I want to ask you a question. Have you ordered that Happy Leaf LED V2 grow light for Christmas yet? Sure, you can get it for a friend, but consider one or even more for yourself. As we've talked about for weeks on this show, it's five times more powerful than a T5 fluorescent bulb. Those lights can start seeds, but they can't do what the Happy Leaf LED can do, which is to grow plants with the full range of light. And it's priced at just over $100. I know people who spend $100 on just stupid stuff. This is good stuff, Mm -hmm. right? Oh, $100, yeah. Yeah. And then it's gone. And, and, you know, right. But this, you'll keep this because it lasts for virtually forever. Um, so when you start comparing LED grow lights, you're going to discover that $100 is a steal. It's a little over. It's like $130. i am telling you, I've seen it in action. You won't believe what it can do. Get the grow light that has already won 
the 2017 Green Thumb Award from the Direct Gardening Association. Go to happyleafled.com for complete kits that will get you up and growing in a matter of minutes. You will be amazed. Happy Leaf LED, it's about the light. And did you know that Genesis is the Midwest's largest source of airbrush supplies? Find out more at chicagoairbrushsupply.com or artsupply.com. Or stop into their showroom at 2525 North Elston and say you heard about them on Q4 Radio or the Mike Novak Show, and you'll get an extra 10% off their already discounted prices. Genesis is Chicago's only privately owned art supplier, serving all of Chicago's artistic framing and drafting needs since 1946. This is Mike Novak for Chicago Wilderness in my own Logan Square Wilderness. You can friend a person on social media, but how do you friend a native plant or animal that is in danger of going extinct, like the monarch butterfly or Blanding's turtle or the little brown bat? 12 Animals in 12 Weeks is a campaign to support critical species and their habitats in our region. Friend an animal species today. Go to chicagowilderness.org species. Did you know Chicagoans are getting healthier all the time? Hi, I'm Peggy, and I know this is true because for six years I've been publishing Natural Awakening, Chicago's greenest and healthiest magazine. And if you want your message to reach this growing market, you do need to get your business in front of our readers. Why? Because our advertisers tell us that our targeted readers are committed to improving their health and ready to take action. That's more than 80,000 people in Chicagoland who will respond to your message. They're looking for holistic wellness practitioners, integrative doctors and dentists, nutritionists, health coaches, yoga instructors, even home improvement and landscape experts. Natural Awakenings is a free monthly magazine available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. Call me today to expand your market and grow your business. 847-858-3697. That's 847-858-3697. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Want to make a positive move in the housing market? Replace your siding and windows. You'll improve your home's look and energy efficiency, too. Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687 for your remodeling and energy needs. Siding, windows, solar and wind power, and more. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of NARI. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com. And I had to play that because that's Bing Crosby messing up his song with the Andrew sister. Now, I'm trying to get both of my folks on the line. I believe that I've got uh, Dr. Mota on the phone. Uh, Mario, are you there? Yes, I am. Mario Mata. Mata, sorry. Uh, Mario Mata. Okay. Uh, and uh, he is an MD, and now I think we lost um, uh, Dr. Fabio Fauci. Uh, the setup here is not ideal. And so this is uh, Mario Mata, 
MD, cardiologist at North Shore Hospital in Salem, Massachusetts, past president of the Massachusetts Medical Society, um, also uh, past president of the American Association of Variable Star Observers, another organization I had never heard of, uh, and just off the board of the International Dark Sky Association, or the IDA, um, and the chair of the Human Health Effects of Light Pollution. That's a lot. Um, And in the studio with us, is Audrey Fisher from the Chicago Astronomical Society. Um, and I want to just start with you, uh, Dr. Mata. Uh, we're obviously, we're, we're changing lights out in Chicago. There's going to be 270,000 new lights here, whether we want them or not, um, because, because they save energy. I get that. They save money. I get that. They can program them so that when it goes out, um, the city knows when a light goes out and can respond to it. They don't have to wait for 311 calls. I get that. That's good. Um, here's the, the problem is, are we doing it in terms of light pollution? Are we paying attention enough to light pollution? And I know Audrey has gone to uh, various meetings with the city and city uh, organizations and city uh, departments uh, to get this done right, uh, to have the right amount of light in these LEDs. Um, you were instrumental, Audrey, weren't you, in getting the Kelvin uh, rating of the lights down from 4,000 to 3,000? It's true. Yeah, okay. And yet that might still be a problem. So, Dr. Mata, talk to us a little bit about the effects of, I guess, too much light. What, what is, how, how can that be a problem? Well, uh, first of all, the main problem with street lights is glare. So if you're elderly, everyone over age 40 stops getting microcalcifications. You live long enough, you get cataracts. What happens with that is you have light that's, uh, don't forget, the whole purpose of the light is to bounce off something, and then you can see it. If it goes directly from the light bulb to your eye, it doesn't help you see. It impedes your vision because you get bright glare that scatters in your eye. Blue scatters more than red. So we all know that because sunset, the sun is red. That's because this blue scatters. That's why we have a blue sky. Blue scatters more in your eye as well. So if you have excess blue, you have more scatter. So the blue doesn't help you see. It actually impedes your vision. The reason why engineers love the uh, the 4,000 and 5,000 LEDs is because five years ago, when they were first invented, um, uh, let me rephrase something here. There's no such thing as a white LED. The way you get a white LED is you take a blue LED, you coat it with a phosphor, and it re-emits some of the rate, the uh, photons as a lower wavelength. So they use blue LEDs. The reason why engineers love the 4000K is because five years ago, there was a difference in efficiency when they were first came out and were invented. The difference was 90% efficient for 5,000K versus 70% efficient for 3,000K. That's all gone. With newer manufacturing techniques, the difference is minuscule, 94 versus 92% efficiency. So, And even the lower ones, 2,700, 2,400, there's essentially no difference in efficiency these days. So the argument that they're more efficient is completely bogus, and it shows you someone who hasn't kept up with the times if they insist on that. Huh. So why? Go ahead. No, no, I'm just I'm just stunned by that because um, these are the people who are supposed to know. All right, mm-hmm. the, you right. know, you've got the city of Chicago, uh, and and 
we're somebody like Audrey, and and you know how it is if you try to get in touch with a major municipal organization of any kind, any kind of big city, you're fighting, you're fighting to be heard. Okay, so yeah. you, and the city will always tell you, "Don't worry, we have the best and the brightest working on this." And yet, Audrey, unfortunately, what? Yes, go ahead. You go yeah. ahead. No, no. So, yeah, unfortunately, uh, many engineers don't understand how the eye works, and uh, they go by manufacturer specs, foot candles on the ground. Okay, that's great to tell how efficient a light is. It tells you nothing about how an eye actually works and sees better or not. And I argue with them all the time. I've given talks to engineers, and I keep telling them, that's not the measure I want to know. What I want to know is you set up a test lab, set up a light in the street, and actually see if you can see better down the street or not. No one tests that way, but that's actually what the light is for. Otherwise, it's just an expensive ornament. And the whole purpose of light is to see better. If you have too bright a light, if you have a hot spot, if you have lots of glare and it's overly bright, it actually impedes your vision and is dangerous. And uh, independent studies have, sh- have shown that. Now, there are th- one of the reasons some keep pushing 4,000K is some companies have bought tons of 4,000K lighting from China, <laughs> have them in their warehouses, and they won't admit that they 3,000 or below is better until they get rid of their stock. Other companies like Cree, like uh, uh, General Electric. General Electric actually put out a white paper on this subject and has set the standard that basically completely agrees with the paper I wrote for the AMA and is completely on board saying that that's how they're going to change their corporate policy. They came out with that two years ago. So there's a huge difference between companies. Some have, have, excuse the pun, seen the light and others have not. Oh, I need a rim shot there. All right. You, you've explained that you want to know how the eye sees it, but I guess the question that I have for you is what kind of problems does too sure. much too much light cause? If we have too much spill, if the Kelvin readings are too high, yeah. what, what happens? Yeah. Well, the higher the blue content, 4,000 and up, the harsher the light is. And we don't have to reinvent the wheel here. You just look at cities that have installed 4,000K, and you find nothing but complaints. Um, New York City, Queens, you can Google this with um, several New York Times articles. Now, here's admittedly one of the worst light-polluted areas in the universe, and people are used to bad lighting in New York City. They changed all the lighting from high-pressure sodium to 4,000K, and immediately, huge complaints have started coming in. In uh, various articles in the Times, people say it's a prison atmosphere. It shines in my room. I have to, uh, uh, these are all quotes from the New York Times. I have to buy light blocking shades. So people don't like 4000K for a good reason. They don't know what, what the reason is. But the reason is actually because it's got too much blue. Seattle did it, and there are complaints. Interestingly, all the newer cities... Uh, specifically, the latest is uh, L.A. has gone to 2,700K on side streets, 3,000K on main thoroughfares. Phoenix is gone, is going uh, to all 2,700K citywide. Uh, so all the later cities are, have completely changed what they were originally going to do, which was originally 4,000K. Uh, 
4,000K because that's what they were, quote, advised by the engineers. After studying the issue, they've made the right choice. In my area in uh, New England, uh, all the new installations are 3,000K or below. Let's let uh, Audrey get a word in here about that. One point of, that I'd like to make about Phoenix going to 2,700 Kelvin, and that just was announced a couple weeks ago, was 100% because of public activism. Mm-hmm. That would never have happened. They would have installed um, 4,000 or higher. And Davis, uh, Davis, California, had a high installation of over-illumination. The public was so outraged, they demanded those lights be taken down, and they installed lower Kelvin ratings, mm-hmm. 2,700 Kelvin. Uh, and, and, and here in Chicago, we, uh, uh, as I said before, Audrey got the city to go lower uh, from 4,000 to 3,000, but now... And as, others, other people pitched and other in people, too, of yeah, course. Yeah, I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. you're not, you, weren't, you didn't do this alone. No, obviously. no way. Nobody no. does this alone. No, no, and not, again, not with the city of Chicago. <laughs> uh, but the point is they, they've lowered it to three, but Audrey went to, out to look at the installation, the test. They have seven test installations around the city right now, and I'm going to get into that in a second, but she says that even 3,000 is, is too bright at the moment. Oh, it's overly lit. It's going to people's homes. It, it's like walking in a daylight zone. This is way, way too much. Do you ever, do you ever take... Oh. Let me ask you, Dr. Uh, Mata, um, what's the difference between 3,000 and 2,700? Well, it's about half the blue. So, the, I mean, in an ideal world, like what they did in Quebec and what they're doing in Hawaii, uh, in Quebec they use using amber LEDs, there's no blue. In Hawaii they're using filtered LEDs, there's no blue, because they're concerned with the environment. In an ideal world, everyone would do that. Yeah. The reality of the we situation is that too. They're, not, yeah. they're not readily available, so they're yeah, not going to do that. So I would go for the lowest possible. 2,700 currently is the best ideal. It's certainly nothing higher than 3,000 uh, must be insisted on. And it, there's two parts here. The, the CRI is the color of the light. You can have a low dim uh, 3,000K. You can have a very bright. Uh, you know, one of the things they do is instead of just a few LEDs, they put up these monstrosities that have multiple LEDs mm-hmm. and just ramp up the amperage. So you can have the right color and still have overlighting. One is wattage, one is the color of the light. You need a proper balance of both. Yeah. All right. And and what kind of uh, physical problems does uh, too much light create? It blinds you. Okay. The purpose of a light is to see better. I mean, indoor lighting, there are a number of health issues we can talk about. We're talking primarily outdoor lighting here. Okay. If you're constantly opposed to high blue, there is studies that show it suppresses your melatonin and keeps you from falling asleep later at night. But usually you have to have quite a bit of exposure outdoors. Most people, that's not the main issue, although I personally think that's an important issue. The main issue outdoor lighting is how they design and how much how bright they are in the color. You want to keep the blue down. You want to keep the light level to what is reasonable so you can see without overlighting, mm-hmm. and you don't want to blind the driver. All right. Well, listen, doctor, I appreciate your time. I know you're on duty, and um, um, Mario Mata, MD, 
uh, cardiologist, North Shore Hospital in Salem, Mass. Um, I hope that we get to a chance to talk some more about this and talk about the physiological aspects of this light. And, uh, and, and the thing you said that struck me the most, and, and I knew this a little bit, was if you just reducing from 3,000 to 2,700 Kelvin, um, you said cuts the blue in half. Is that it's correct? Correct. Wow. That's correct. That's amazing. That's so that would be yeah. a chief benefit of doing it right there. But the other thing you said that is also disturbing is that a lot of these companies have these lights already in stock, and that's what is going on here. It's, it's not about – sometimes it's not about doing the right thing. It's, it's doing the cheap thing. And, uh, you know, they, if they they've got a huge lot of invested 4,000 mm-hmm. K lights, they need to get rid of them. Well, the 4,000, okay, I don't uh, think the Chicago as citizens should demand to, and this is what I told people locally here is we demand the right to buy what, what's best for us, not what you want to unload. Good for you. Well, well I think Peggy's going to tweet that out. Uh, Dr. Mata, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, and I hope we, we talk again soon. All right. Good luck. Go Audrey. <laughs> All right. Yes, there she is. Good for you. Good. She needs she needs her supporters here and, and elsewhere. All, All right, right. Talk to you later, doctor. Bye-bye. My uh, pleasure. Bye. It's the Mike Novak Show on Q4 Radio. Now what I'm going to do is get uh, Fabio on the phone. Let's, I hope he's still – I hope he's standing by his Skype uh, machine uh, so that we can do this. Uh, he's in Italy, um, and um, I sent him a, a quick uh, email. Oh. Let's see. I think there he is. Fabio, is that you? Yes. Yay! Yay! Hi. Hi. <laughs> Welcome you- to Chicago. <laughs> nice to have you. Uh, and thank you for being so patient. Please pronounce your name, both uh, uh, first and last name, for me so I get it exactly right. Oh, yes. My uh, family name is Falchi. You have to pronounce it like uh, uh, the... C-H is a K. Right. Fabio Falchi. Yes. All right. Great. He's a physicist. He's worked on light pollution for more than 20 years. Uh, Where in Italy are you located? Well, not so uh, good place. Uh, I mean, uh, we have uh, two weeks uh, with fog in a row, and uh, it is uh, one of the most light polluted places. places in, in the world. Oh, uh, I live uh, in the northern Italy uh, between Venice and Milan, uh, almost half away. And, and, and so you're, yeah, if you look at that map of Europe, you're one of the places where all that light pollution is occurring. Uh, and you put together, uh, you're uh, one of the people who put together the first Atlas of Artificial Night Sky Brightness. Um, congratulations on that. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, and uh, Audrey Fisher is here in the studio with us who helped set up uh, this conversation uh, with president of the Chicago Astronomical Society. Uh, and we're, you know, we're fighting our own battle here in Chicago to get them to put the right lights in. Um, yeah. What? Yeah, I know, and, I know. Yeah, I know you know. <laughs> and we just talked to uh, Dr. Mata um, in Massachusetts about um, the, uh, the the strength of the light in, in Kelvin, and he advises that, well, he said that that, if, if, that you certainly can't go higher than 3,000, but it's, it's even better if you go lower um, to 2,700. What do you recommend, uh, Dr. Falke? Well, I agree with uh, Mario Motta, uh, of course. Uh, uh, 
the aim is to keep uh, the blue part of the spectrum as low as possible because it uh, influences uh, our body and the melatonin production and so on. And so uh, the lower you go with the color temperature, the better. And so a uh, first step uh, should be not uh, be over 3000 Kelvin, but of course it, it is much better to to go lower to 2700 or lower uh, yet. And also, uh, I think that uh, we really don't need uh, in most places uh, to have a white light. I mean, we um, uh, can use uh, um, a similar light uh, of that uh, that we were used to, and this is the, the, the light uh, similar to the high pressure sodium, uh, because uh, it there exists uh, a type of LED, LED, uh, that um, has almost no blue light, uh, and it is the PC amber LED, and it works perfectly for most of um, application in outdoor lighting. But uh, it seems that uh, industry uh, wants uh, to, to use uh, white light and bright white light. Uh, well, and so this is uh, all fascinating stuff, and you've charted this, of course, across the globe. What, uh, aside from uh, folks not being able to see stars, and much of our planet is losing the ability to even know what a star was. Audrey told a story about a small child in Chicago the other day looking up at the Adler Planetarium and saying, look at all the moons, because children... Don't even know what stars are. They've seen the moon, but they don't. They don't see stars. Um, so, yeah, what, yeah. what kind of effect does that have on on human beings? Well, this is the first time in history that we have uh, such a high light pollution, and so a uh, high light pollution that hides the stars and our universe. Uh, you you have to to consider that uh, um, all our all our uh, Culture aspects are um, binned and have roots uh, in uh, the contemplation of the night sky. I mean, in religion, philosophy, science, uh, the arts, uh, and literature, and so on. So now we are uh, the first uh, generations that rise up uh, without uh, this inspiration. And so I really don't know what will happen. it is certainly a, a, a huge cultural loss. And uh, beside these, of course, there are the, pro- the problems for our health, uh, the problems for uh, the energy, the problems uh, of, for astronomy. But uh, I think that the, the, the main thing is the, the cultural loss that we experience now uh, by hitting uh, the starry sky to billion of uh, humans mm-hmm. and uh, this has basically happened has it not in i would say what the last 50 years something like that well it was an increase that it is uh, um slow enough uh that uh, uh people doesn't uh, uh um, well, uh, I, 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 it is difficult for me to, to, to find the, the correct verb. Well, <laughs> um, so uh, it is slow enough, 
but uh, uh, it is fast enough at the same time. It is fast enough to hide the sky in uh, two generations or so, but it's slow enough that uh, the people doesn't act to stop it. And really, uh, at the end of uh, 19th century, so one hundred and a half uh, years ago, you, know, you can, you could uh, uh, see the Milky Way from Paris of La- or London or so. Mm. Uh, but uh, in uh, one hundred and a half uh, years, uh, <coughs> uh, we we lose the, the possibility to see the stars from for most of, of us. Yeah, it's not just uh, yeah seeing it from Paris or London or Chicago or New York in the twenty first century is absurd mm-hmm. to even to, com- to contemplate that. Um, and that's uh, needless. We can fix that. Yeah, with and- today's technology. That's right. We we have the technology to fix it, and mm. it's it's lowering the the Kelvin uh, to uh, uh, more, something more appropriate, twenty seven hundred or less, as uh, Doctor Falke just 2200. said, maybe twenty two. But okay, here's the problem with that is, um, and maybe you've encountered this too, Doctor Falke. Uh, people equate darkness with crime, and. I'm sure in the city of Chicago, which has a horrible murder rate this year, this is a terrible time for us to be discussing this light problem. This is this is like the worst possible time because we've had so many murders in the city this year. And I'm sure that a lot of people would say, well, yes, we need it very, very, very bright because that's the only way we stop crime. Um, have you encountered that, Dr. Falke? Well, uh, yes, this is a, a huge problem. I mean, the perception that the people have uh, on these is uh, that uh, the more light you put the more uh, the less crime you have but this equation is uh, never uh, has never been proved uh, I mean um, the, the, the in England for example they found that uh, uh, both safety and uh, security is not increased by by lighting and so uh, we may spend um, better our money by uh, hiring uh, new cops for example instead of uh, putting more lights so if you have uh, uh, more police maybe that you lower the crime Uh, more police on the streets and and, uh, patrolling the roads this is a, a, a an effective way to spend uh, the money, but uh, I mean, if you put the uh, lights only to lower crime, I think that uh, you spend your money in a wasteful uh, way. Okay, uh, I'm just gonna uh, we're gonna need to wrap up here, and I need to talk a little bit more with uh, with Audrey here. So, Dr. Falke, what? That's one way to go. What do you advise telling municipalities? who are installing new lights. Obviously, you want them to use temperatures that are lower than they are now, but how, how do you make that argument? Well, uh, uh, they have a, a huge opportunity to lower light pollution and at the same time uh, obtaining better lighting for the city. So uh, there are several things that they, they should follow. Uh, for example, uh, limit the blue content and limit uh, the 
quantity of light that you have uh, on on the streets. I mean, uh, you don't need uh, to that uh, the streets are lighted uh, as a, it was a a, a filmmaking uh, <laughs> production, and so uh, our eyes are extremely sensitive to low light, and so uh, a small uh, uh, quantity of light is okay for our uh, for our eyes, and we will see perfectly. And uh, the we will get used to it. Will... We we get used to it. I mean, anybody who's been in a low light situation knows that the eyes adjust. You do it. I mean, okay. Here's a perfect example. You wake up in the middle of the night and there are no lights on. You usually see pretty well going around, yeah, except yeah. for Peggy who walks into doors. But other than that, that wasn't the middle of the night. Oh, that wasn't okay. Uh, but um, uh, you, you, your eyes adjust, and we don't seem to understand that. In fact, uh, as uh, Dr. Mata pointed out, we're doing damage to our eyes by having too much light and, uh, and yeah. at higher That's temperatures. Yeah. And to our health and to animals and everything else. And plants, flora and fauna, mm-hmm. um, all of that. Um, so, well, Dr. Falke, thank you so much um, for, for being with us. We, I, th- I suspect we will be talking again. Uh, this this okay. this question is okay. is it's not over yet, and there's still a battle to be fought, not just in Chicago but all over the world. Correct? Yeah, I know here in Italy too. Yes, yes, and and I wish you great success there. I I hope you have some luck in getting uh, the light levels reduced in uh, Italy and and around the world. And thank you for your contribution. The uh, the first atlas of artificial night sky brightness. Um, that's okay. quite an accomplishment. I appreciate it. Thank you for calling. And happy holidays to you. Bye. Thank you, you, Fabio. Thank you. Happy holidays. Bye-bye, Fabio. Bye-bye. It's the uh, Mike Novak Show. Okay, before we wrap up here, and we've we've bumped over 10 a.m., but I'm not done. I mean, I'm not done here because part of the the issue here, and I wanted to bring in the the scientists um, to make the case because – we have to make you have to do it with science, regardless of who's in the White House. Science is still important, um, and so what we've heard is that the temperature three thousand is like borderline. It really should be lower. You know, uh, congratulations on getting them to lower it. And part of the problem is you you and you told me, Audrey, is that you got the city to lower it. They were considering four thousand. Kelvin, and you said, no, 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 it's got to be 3,000. And then you went out and looked at the light, and and you you kind of had an oh-my-goodness moment, didn't you? This is still too way too bright, correct? It it is, and also some some, uh, lighting manufacturers have more blue in their 3,000 lights than than another. So it differs that way, too. And when you think about it, the only thing the city really got right with its lighting in the past was the color. And we did that quite accidentally. You mean with the uh, the sodium vapor lights? That color is actually is proving to be the most healthful for the human circadian and the biorhythms and That sort of uh, orangey glow? What, that, what that do you amber consider? Color. Amber. Yeah. I, I would call it amber. It's yeah. kind of like a candlelight. It's kind yeah, of soothing. Yeah, yeah. But what, what we want wrong with those lights is that they were the wrong style of light. They were, they were putting light... Um, they weren't focusing it on target. A street light should f- place should light the street and the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't go sideways into people's windows, and it shouldn't go upwards into the sky. It's doing it's wasted going up to the sky. Yeah. Plus, it's stealing our view of the stars. And and you told me 
a couple of days ago when we were talking about this. Mm-hmm. That basically your connection, and I don't want to bust you for this, but it's really important. Your connection at the city came, you said, you know, those 3,000 Kelvins are still too bright. And this guy said, Audrey, we already knocked it down from 4,000 to 3,000 because of you. What more do you want from us? And you pointed out to me, and it makes a lot of sense, the technology has changed that much in six months. Imagine what's going to happen over four years as, they, as they're installing these lights. That's right, and I hope that the city's smart enough. I know they have smart people, and, you know, I really do believe they want to do the best for us. But, um, I wish I believed that. <laughs> uh, no, I do too. I mean, I think they want to do it right. But here's the problem. Here's another problem. And this is, this is sort of my issue. You sent me this email and you sent it out to your friends the other day on the 13th of December. On the 12th of December, the city said, hey, we're doing a test case and you got to let us know what you think of this new lighting by the end of the year. They sent it out on the 12th of mm-hmm. December. Oh, gosh, there's nothing happening between the 12th of December and the end of the year. Is there for you? Are you doing anything, yeah, Peggy? So. And, 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 you know, what, you know, if you want something to fail if you, or if you want no participation so that you can then turn around and make the decision yourself and say, hey, we gave you a chance, the best time to do it is the holidays. So this is really cynical on the part of the city. This is, this is what I look at. Here's the other thing I would say about that. So they gave us like 16 days or 17 days. To barely. Barely. Because they hardly announced it. They hardly announced it, you know, and, and they've got these lights up and they want this. And you've got to go to this survey monkey thing that they, they have. Kind of buried. It's, and, and, and it's, as you pointed out to me, and, and I appreciated this, Audrey, it's slanted. It's a biased survey. It doesn't, it, you know, it kind of leads you in this direction. Do you like the color? Is it nice? And, and people are going to go, yeah, it's not that amber stuff. And not realizing that it's yeah. actually hurting them yeah. because they don't enough? know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and my feeling is you want, you want a survey? Leave the lights up for three months. Leave them up for six months and then get people. You can't do this in 16, 17 days. Phoenix gave the public a couple, several months. Who did? Phoenix. Phoenix? Okay. Phoenix. All right. Well, then, then we just go to the city of Chicago. How come we're not as smart as Phoenix? How come we're not as smart as some of these other cities who did it right? And maybe it's because because Phoenix had several months for the public to really look at these and analyze and listen to stories and presentations. Phoenix activists got together and they demanded lower Kelvin and that's what they got. All right. So how do we, you know, what, what I'm worried about is that they've already bought 270,000, 3000 Kelvin lights and they, you know, they got a deal. We got it. We got a deal. God help us. That, yeah. If you know, because this is just like crazy. So what do folks do? How do we, I mean, aside, you know, even the folks are going to fill out that survey. They don't know what they're saying. They're going to say, yeah, it's brighter. I can see better. And they don't know what the issue is. They'll do a drive-by because they're not going to park. Yep, wow, this looks bright. I can see everything. Perfect, let's go with it. And they have no idea. They're not even going to go and lie in bed and see if the light comes in the window. You know? Months ago, they promised, because I asked about this, what is planned for uh, the public education, you know, presentations and things like this. And they said it's definitely going to happen. And it didn't happen. And and uh, what you mean, public education was going to happen and it didn't happen? Is that that's what you're right. Saying? The city prom- promised. Hey, listen, 
recycling. You want to talk uh, public education? I, I'll go on for a few hours about recycling in the city of Chicago and, and how they've botched it for 20 years. And now they're trying to scramble to make up for it. And, you know, I, I'm sure people will come after me and go, hey, no, no, the city's really working hard. Well, now they are because our, our, our recycling rate is 9%. Now they're going, oops, I guess we really screwed that up. Um, and these lights, unfortunately, it's not the same thing. It's like once they're up, they're up for, like you say, 25 years. 25 years. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you that there's over 1,000 documents from different scientific communities every single year that are produced now, all saying that blue light is harmful to human health. It's harmful to the environment and the ecosystems. And I might point out that in the city of Chicago, a lot of the homes are placed pretty fairly close to the street. So you have that streetlight yeah, trespass. Got, my home, my home is, is got a tiny little front thing, uh, uh, yard there, barely barely exists, you know? And if you have that streetlight filtering in through typical bedroom curtains, it I have the documentation that proves it will raise your risk for breast cancer, prostate cancer, colon cancer, pancreatic, some Because of the way it, it interrupts your circadian ry- rhythm, that kind of thing? Yes, and it shuts down your melatonin production. Right. Mood disorders, sleep disorders, type 2 diabetes, obesity. Yeah. Even depression. Sure. Uh, and, this and, can be totally avoided. Stop the light trespass. Yeah. They promised me they would do this, and it didn't happen in that test. Uh, well, so how do we make it happen? What are we gonna, well, first of all, you and I are going to go on a little run and talk to our media friends, we have get to, some TV people out there and we say... We need public activism like never before. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's an important uh, issue. And so... Um, and we got till the till the end of the year. Okay. Hey, listen, I'm I'm kind of busy. I got a holiday thing coming. I got some caroling I'm doing. Audrey, I, I really don't have the time right now. It's just no. I'm kidding. Well, in my in the email they sent to me, they said have a nice holiday, Audrey. Wow. I, was it a personal note or was it? Yes, just, it was. Really? They did. Wow. Um. So all right. So folks, get involved. That's what we do. Yes, what do you got there? What's this? One thing, I, I did bring you a practical A gift. night light. This is an amber color night light. When you, tr- please, um, as a quick note, yeah. try to sleep in a dark room so dark you can't see the hand in front of your face. Okay. If you need light, practical light to go to the bathroom, whatever, use amber, dim amber or dim red. It, it'll minimize your circadian I don't have to worry about light in my room because it comes in through the windows. From, Put, the, from you, please use room darkening curtains. Yeah. And these amber night lights. Okay, amber night light. All right, this yeah. is a, make a great gift for 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 folks. So, uh, if you want to get in touch with uh, Audrey, uh, one of the things I would advise doing is uh, uh, what's a what's a Facebook page? The Chicago Astronomical Society, or do you have another one that? You... Uh, that one also International Dark Sky. I'm the uh, Chicago chapter leader. International Dark Sky Association. Association, IDA. And Dark Sky is is spelled with a hyphen. So International Dark Hyphen Sky Association. Or go to Chicago Astronomical Society. Peggy's been furiously tweeting and Facebooking. And um, you and I will talk, Audrey, and we're going to get some folks out to you, some of these tests. You guys are tests. amazing. And, um, and I love your energy and your ability to... Uh, Raise public awareness and, and get us riled up so we can do this. <laughs> Merry yeah. Christmas, everybody. Yeah, Merry uh, – uh, what was the uh, – oh, wait a second. 
Well, I've, I've got it here. <laughs> I, I, I want to I want to get this right because I heard this on another radio show. You were the, listening to another show. I, I was listening to another show. Cover your ears, folks. Okay. And the wish was Happy Christmas, Kwanzaa. So there you go. <laughs> I can't say that. Happy Christmas, Kwanzaa. <laughs> All right, we will write, we will be back um, with. Uh, Patrick O'Neill. Who is from, waiting patiently oh for Oh, my us. goodness. We're way overdue here for a commercial, so let's do this right now. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Killer Asparagus was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work, and so am I. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Raven Gosplach, my favorite holiday dish. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. It seems to be available online at aroundtheblockpress.com. Aroundtheblockpress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener. I prefer my asparagus with a side of patach Mr. Wolf, are you joking? Actually, Captain, I believe he is choking. Should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be forgot and day? to the Mike Novak Show, still Chicago's only locally broadcast deep green gardening and environment program. Broadcasting live every Sunday from the Genesis Art Supply Building on North Elston Avenue, on Q4 Radio, and at MikeNovak.net. Here he is again, Mike Novak! Remarkable. Mm-hmm. That is uh, my buddy, Andres Enriquez, and he's El Capitan. A, El Capitan, who is a, ma- a member of the Frozen Robins. That's his arrangement. Very nice. And that's all him. Those are all 
him singing that. He multi-tracked that, and it's uh, and we sang it. Not mm-hmm. that. Not, it's not quite that version. It's a variation on that version uh, that the Frozen Robins do when we go out caroling during the holiday season. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show, our final show of 2016. I cannot wait for this year to be over. I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you, I cannot wait. Uh, this has not been my favorite year ever. Been one of the worst, actually. Uh, but a good thing to end it with, and Peggy and I mentioned it earlier, we're moving to WCGO, 1590 a.m. We start January 7th, 10 a.m. to noon. That's a Saturday. It's a Saturday. Give me a ding on a Saturday. All right. Uh, let you us, can hear it in your car. You can, <laughs> can hear it in your car. You can like, hear it in your kitchen. That's right. You don't have to go to the TuneIn app or anything, although you can because they have an app. WCGO mm-hmm. has an app, so if you want to listen on your computer, yeah. you want to listen on your smartphone, you, but you can still listen in the car on real AM Old-fashioned AM radio. Mm-hmm. And we're very excited about Yay. the move. Yay. And so, Mighty House is moving, too. Mighty House will be on just before us. So it's a, if those of you just tuned in are going, what? Yep, that's what's going on. Yep. All right, let's go to the Skype machine uh, and uh, bring in a very patient man, Patrick O'Neill. Patrick, how are you? I'm great, Mike. How are you? I'm fabulous. And uh, thank you for being with us. Patrick is CEO of Amp Your Good. And if it sounds familiar, uh, it's because about a month ago or so, uh, there was this conference in uh, Chicago, a summit, actually. It was Food Tank. Food Tank Summit. And I did <laughs> about 16 interviews <laughs> in about four hours that morning. And Patrick was one of the people who was paraded through the room. And you know, then they point at you and they say, go, interview this guy for eight minutes. Um, and I was... Really impressed by your organization, Patrick, uh, Amp Your Good, um, because it it helps people to do good. And that's the name of the organization. And by the way, it's one of the best names ever for an organization. Uh, I'm not sure who came up with that, Patrick, but I really love it. Did you have a hand in that? Well, thank, I, I'd love to take credit for it, but uh, we, we have a great team that came up with that name. That's a great name. It, it really it goes through your head and it sticks there. And that's that's what you want for an organization. And why don't you explain briefly? Okay, let me let me um, uh, give you a confession here. When you came through that morning, I really didn't know what. I mean, I had done some research on some stuff. I had so many people to interview that morning. I was kind of like, ah, all right, I'll find out when I talk to them. Um, and I got to waxing uh, poetic on, uh, on how um, food drives don't really work because – the stuff that people give away is stuff they don't want anyway. And if they don't want it, why would anybody else want it? Um, and you were like way ahead of me. And you said, well, yeah, but we don't do that. That's our, our deal is a completely different model. We use technology and we get the right food to the right people. Explain Patrick, how that works. Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, a lot of people that have found out about us have uh, called us sort of uh, food drive 2.0 and we've developed a, food drive model that enables people to donate uh, healthy food, uh, fresh fruits and vegetables and other kinds of healthy food, really with the idea that, you know, we've got around 42 million people in the U.S. who are struggling with food insecurity. And within that population of people is a a high percentage of them that have uh, very serious health issues that really relate to diet. 
uh, things like obesity and diabetes, uh, hypertension, and other things. And, you know, the traditional food drive model, and most people are familiar with that because uh, donating food to food drives is actually one of the most common forms of charity in our country. But it turns out that uh, quite a bit of the food that people donate to traditional food drives are kind of like the things that you said. Um, they're the, the leftovers, maybe things that people pulled out from their pantry that, that's been sitting there for a long time. Uh, or it could be store-bought, but it, it, they tend to be uh, highly processed, non-perishable uh, food types, which is really uh, the wrong kind of food for the people that everybody's trying to help with their food donation. So we looked at the fact that so many people want to help, and and they all have good intentions. Nobody purposely would donate food thinking that it might uh, affect somebody's health adversely. <laughs> but and you know, but 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 but, the, uh, but let me just let me just go and stick in my nose in here for a second, Patrick. Nobody would do it intentionally, but the problem is, like an issue we were talking about earlier on the show about light pollution, like an issue I've talked about before, like recycling. There's not enough education. People just don't understand that they might be doing the wrong thing. And, and one of the things that I was surprised at, and you said in the interview at Food Tank, was that 75 million Americans participate one way or another in food drives every year. So it tells me that 75 million people are trying to do the right thing. They just don't know how to do the right thing. That's exactly right. <clears throat> And that really was the impetus for developing what we have, uh, which is a an online uh, food drive model. Uh, for those in, in your listening audience that are familiar with crowdfunding, uh, when, a, when a group wants to uh, run a food drive using our system, uh, they contact us and we ask them for some uh, basic information about the food drive that they want to run, uh, things like uh, what hunger organization they want to raise the food for, uh, when they want their drive to start, uh, when it's due to end, and a few other things. And with that information, we set up a web page that has all that information. And then we set up another thing in our site that we just call the store page. And the store page uh, is something that has uh, specific food items that uh, people will be able to uh, choose, uh, purchase uh, for the purpose of donating. Uh, but we set that page up after talking to the hunger organization itself. And we asked the hunger organization, whether that's a food pantry or a soup kitchen or a food bank, what is it ideally that you would like people to donate? Uh, what, what's going to help the people that you're trying to help the most? And with that information, we create this uh, store page. So when whoever the person or the, the team is that's leading the food drive, and it might be a company food drive uh, or a school food drive, uh, we've had uh, civic organizations uh, use our system and many others. But whoever is leading it, <clears throat> when they reach out to their, their community, their school community, the company employees and whatnot, and announce the food drive, instead of telling them where the collection box is that people can bring food to, they direct them to the webpage that's been set up for their drive. And once people are there, if they're inclined to donate, what they actually do is they pick out and purchase from the food items that are displayed the things that they would like to donate. <clears throat> and uh, the beauty of that is that it really functions like a wedding registry so that no matter what you choose to uh, donate, <clears throat> you're, you're donating something that's been defined by that hunger organization that is looking for specific food items. And what we found is that uh, most hunger organizations, given the choice – 
are really looking to source uh, definitively healthy food and specifically uh, perishable food, fruits and vegetables. Uh, they understand that this population of people who they're helping uh, really struggles with access to healthy food, and they're trying to be a source of healthy food for those people. Uh, now, in a traditional food drive, it's not possible to donate uh, fruits and vegetables. If you brought those things to a collection box, uh, they'd likely spoil before they ever got to a, a, a food pantry or a soup kitchen. Uh, in our case, uh, what we do, uh, the, the donation essentially is made virtually. You you buy this food that you want to donate, and, and when the drive is over, we deliver that food that you bought directly to the hunger organization. So it never sits in a collection box. It's just amazing, and it, it occurs to me as I'm listening to you saying this, talking about this, that this is – um, and methodology, an organization specifically built for the 21st century, the way that you're putting this together and that the way you have put it together um, could not have been done in the 20th century. Um, and I suppose, you know, you could have made phone calls or sent letters, um, it, but it, the way it's set up now is – uh, ideal for getting the word or from the, the the organizations that need food. What do you need exactly? Let's get it done. Boom, and uh, it goes to the right people. So, um, you know, there are other organizations that that might have been able to exist uh, uh, twenty five years ago, but not this one. Yeah, you're right, uh, Mike. I think even uh, you know five or six years ago, it would have been hard to do this. Um, you know, I think we're reflective of a couple of things. You know, first of all, uh, the the technology itself is something that um, uh, it took us some time to uh, develop, but you know, it relies upon um, uh, everybody having access to the internet, um, whether that's their smartphones, uh, tablets, or otherwise. Uh, it, re it it really relies upon uh, elements of uh, supply chain management that would have been much harder to do uh, not that many years ago. But I think it's also reflective of uh, uh, the, the simple fact that people are buying more things online these days, uh, uh, whether that's food or, or other things, and they're very used to the idea of um, uh, making a purchase. And uh, I think that <clears throat> when it comes to food, uh, people are um, very, uh, very used to uh, getting the food that they might donate in the way that they get their own food. So mm -hmm. if I'm shopping at the supermarket, uh, I'll, I'll buy some food items there. Uh, and, and, and those would be donated to a, a traditional food drive, uh, typically. Uh, today, more people buy things online. Uh, and I think the other thing that we've really tried to do is to make it super, super convenient for people to help out this way. Uh, one of the interesting uh, stats uh, that we've seen uh, really just reinforced uh, in our system time and time again is that when people are donating food to a, a traditional food drive, they're really limited by uh, two factors. Uh, one is um, how much uh, money they might be willing to spend towards the cause. In other words, how much food they might be willing to purchase at the store or pull out of their pantry. And the other is uh, convenience. Uh, how much can they reasonably carry to that collection box at the mm -hmm. office or at the school or at the back of church? And uh, anecdotally, uh, I think most people would uh, agree that uh, when they've made a food uh, donation to a traditional food drive, they might have brought a bag of groceries or maybe a couple of cans. 
And what we see uh, with our system is uh, that the amount of food that people donate is dramatically higher than what yeah. they would donate to a traditional food drive. Yeah, it's and like buying it, online. It, you're, you're selecting more because you're not physically carrying it. That's exactly right, Peggy. It's really um, when it turns out when somebody else carries the food for you, <laughs> that's not a limiting factor. You're really limited yeah. by how much uh, uh, money you're willing to spend on on this cause that you're looking to support. So uh, we, the average donation through through our site is uh, the equivalent to three to four bags uh, worth of groceries, um, and that's great, really, all the way around. <clears throat> you know, it's great for the person that wants to help because they're they're helping really in the way that they want to, as much as they want to. It's certainly great for the hunger organizations because they're getting more food and more of the things that they're really looking for. And then obviously it's ultimately great for the people that they're helping because, you know, that's what it's all about. And we need to make sure people know that they can go to ampyourgood.com if they want to get involved in this. And I hope that folks will who, you know, who, who have been thinking, oh, I've got to get some stuff to a drive or something, mm-hmm. well, you can do it at home. You can do it right on your yeah. computer. It's uh, just so simple. Pat, have you noticed are a lot of food pantries starting to use this for ongoing donations as well? Yeah, that's a great uh, question, uh, Peggy, and and we are seeing that now. Uh, in fact, uh, we have uh, uh, a couple of uh, food pantries who uh, tell the groups that want to support them with food drives that they would greatly prefer that they use our system instead of the traditional food drive. Um, you know, this is sort of getting into the weeds a little bit, but from a hunger organization's perspective, food drives are great because it's people who are trying to help them out. Uh, but when a, when, when a group does a food drive uh, and, and they deliver all that food, there's a, a process that that hunger organization needs to go through to accept that food and figure out what they can use and what they can't. So they literally have to inspect every single can and box of Mm -hmm. what shows up. Um, There's going to be typically uh, cans and boxes of expired food that they can't use or uh, it may be damaged. In some cases, it may be food that they can't really use because it's not appropriate. It just may be mismatched with uh, who they're trying to help. So uh, there's a labor burden there. And a lot of organizations are able to get that inspection work done by volunteers, but sometimes they have paid staff that does that. And then for the things that they can't use at all, uh, they're going to throw that away, and it increases their garbage bill. Yeah, um, it's a lot. Yeah, a lot, yeah there's yeah. A, a lot of downside on on that. Um, the, a question I have for you, Pat, that I'm kind of curious about: Why are you a for-profit uh, company? You're an LLC. What's what's the benefit of that for you? Well, I think uh, from our perspective, uh, you know, we're we're doing something that. Uh, is uh, reflective of uh, disruption that is happening in in many areas that's driven by technology. And we have to be uh, very nimble. In fact, you know, there are some changes to how our technology works um, that we've already incorporated uh, in the year or so since our platform launched. And we have lots of things that we need to do moving forward. And we had the perspective that, uh, uh, number one, uh, we wanted to be culturally uh, functioning as a a very uh, nimble company that uh, hopefully was going to be growing very fast. Uh, And the other is that I think one of the challenges of being a nonprofit in these times uh, is, uh, is funding uh, and, and, and sustainability. Um, 
there's lots of organizations that are always or always seem to be uh, struggling with their fundraising to uh, maintain what they're doing and to expand into other areas. And we wanted to set up a model that um, uh, was going to be market tested. And if we were doing a good job, uh, we would have a self-funding source uh, as a uh, as a for-profit company. And if we weren't doing a good job or if for some reason uh, this didn't catch on, you know, that would be, uh, you know, in, in, in the category, well, we, we tried, we thought we had a good idea. We tried hard, but it didn't work. Yeah. Well, that, that, that makes sense. I, I like the idea of, and, and of course, you're not beholden um, to grants, as a lot of not-for-profits are. Uh, and, uh, and if you can make the model work, yeah, it, you, you can move faster. Uh, by the way, we're, we're talking to Patrick O'Neill, CEO of Amp Your Good. Go to ampyourgood.com if you want to participate in this. Uh, you have a couple of uh, interesting uh, event, uh, not events. Uh, and by the way, you call this crowd feeding, which I kind of like. Also, you guys are getting pretty clever with the words there. Uh, but one of your drives that I and Peggy, you've got to be interested in this because Peggy is a vegetarian. Are you vegan or vegetarian? Vegetarian. She's a vegetarian. But the first ever vegan mm-hmm. food drive. Now, <laughs> I saw that. What are the challenges of that, Patrick? Well, I think uh, uh, we, we were very excited about a couple of groups that wanted to uh, raise uh, vegan-only uh, foodstuffs to support a uh, soup kitchen that's uh, uh, based in New York City that is uh, sort of famous for their vegan chili that uh, they uh, are typically distributing to uh, some of the homeless that uh, live in New York City. Um you know, really, from our standpoint, uh, this idea that I talked about before that we sort of function as a, um, a wedding registry um, makes it easy for groups to uh, really tailor the kind of food that they want to raise, you know, for a particular hunger organization. So in this case, um, uh, the food items that were available for people to uh, donate were uh, most of the ingredients that this organization uh, needs to make the chili that they distribute. So uh, much like any other hunger organization, we were in touch with them. They told us the things that they were looking for people to donate, and um, and those wound up being the, uh, the things that were available. Uh, what we found was interesting was that uh, the – we think, we don't know this for sure, but based on some of the feedback we got from some of the donors and the organizations that were sponsoring it um, – it was a way for uh, these groups to reach out into the vegan community at large and give people the opportunity to donate the kind of food that they believed uh, they should eat or that they practiced eating and that others should eat. So it was a nice way to uh, reach out to a community and let them help in a way that they uh, would really uh, value. That's great. Anything else you want to throw in? Oh, well, Peggy. Go ahead, Peggy. I was going to ask you, Pat, uh, I know you're working with a lot of other organizations and you've got some really innovative things planned for next year. Um, what types of groups do you typically partner with to make sure this is successful? Yeah, it, so uh, it's really a wide variety. Uh, we, we have sort of uh, two tracks that we're uh, moving along in parallel with. Um, we, of course, are happy to work with any uh, kind of group that wants to sponsor a food drive and 
you know, I, m- I mentioned before schools and businesses, uh, civic organizations. Um, uh, we have uh, teenagers that uh, uh, will, as a service project, uh, run a drive. And, you know, it's kind of funny if you're if you're 14 or 15 years old and you need to do a service project, uh, if you're going to do a food drive, you need to rely on mom or dad to drive you around mm-hmm. to help get the food to the food pantry, for instance. Um, with our system, they can do it all online. So they, they really can uh, take on a, a project like that by themselves. Um, but in addition to uh, some of the kinds of groups that you would uh, typically associate with uh, food drives, uh, uh, we also are working on some um, pretty broad scale uh, campaigns. Um, and I would say the one that we're probably the most excited with is uh, something that we'll be formally announcing in January. Uh, it's called Give Healthy, uh, the Great American Healthy Food Drive. And um, we're uh, partnering with really a wide variety of nonprofit organizations, uh, universities, uh, companies, and others, um, a number of celebrities um, who are all interested in this, uh, this basic idea that if you're going to donate food, uh, make it really healthy food uh, because hunger fundamentally is a health issue. And so this is going to be a national campaign that takes place next May. And um, uh, we've got a lot of work to do to uh, get it to the point where, where we you know, can uh, sort of launch the website and announce all the partners and whatnot. But what's been really encouraging is that um, uh, once you explain to people this uh, you know, very simple concept that hunger is, is a health issue, uh, and, and, I, and I say that because um, – you know, when I was growing up, uh, hunger uh, was something that you would associate with uh, the third world and uh, people literally starving to death. Um, in our country, uh, hunger is, uh, you know, we don't have that kind of problem. Uh, we really have the problem of um, the high rates of health issues that you know, people who struggle with food insecurity has. And that has everything to do with the kind of food that they have access to and what they're consuming. And so that's a bit of a public education process to let people know that. And once they hear that, it's sort of, uh, well, of course, you know, I'd be happy to donate a bag of apples instead of a, a can of, uh, you know, sodium laden beans. Um, uh, people, you know, as you said before, Mike, pe- pe- people want to do the right thing. They just need to know what the right thing is. Well, you uh, are a model for how to do it right. And I hope that people take, uh, take advantage of that. And go to uh, ampyourgood.com and participate. Uh, and um, I'm looking forward to hearing more about some of these things you're doing in uh, 2017. I guess the sky's the limit, isn't it, right now, Patrick? Uh, well, it is. Uh, you know, hunger continues to be a, a major social issue uh, for and, and challenge for our country. Uh, you know, you, it, the numbers are down some, but, it, you know, 42 million people who are, are struggling with it. Uh, the only silver lining to that is, you know, there's uh, more than 75 million people who want to help them out. Yeah. And our, our aim is uh, to try and educate everybody so that when they're helping, they help out in the most uh, effective way possible. Well, good stuff. Uh, keep in touch, all right? Let us know how uh, things are going. Love to have you back, uh, especially when we go to our new station, WCGO, 1590 AM here in Chicago. Yes, and congratulations on that. And certainly would love to love to be in touch. All right, fantastic. Uh, Patrick O'Neill with uh, Ampure Good, ampuregood.com. Uh, we will talk in the new – and by the way, have a wonderful uh, holiday. Same to you. Uh, all right, take care Thanks, now. Pat.
Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye, you guys. Bye bye now. What if I told you you could grow practically anything indoors with a revolutionary grow light that's available for a revolutionary price? Welcome to Happy Leaf LED. It's a commercial quality LED grow light that's designed for you and me. Lightweight, uncomplicated, no fans, no motors, just plug it in. And it's long-lasting with a 50,000-hour minimum lifespan. Sure, you can use it for seed starting. It's a powerhouse producing three flats of seeds with one light. But three? Did you say three? Three flats? Three, flats three. With one light? Three. Now, see, now, Audrey's still here in the studio. <laughs> and, and just to have you know that this is a, a light that is directed right where down. it's supposed to be down, uh, so things can grow what under. Concept light on target. Yeah, light on target. How about that? Huh? Light on target. Yeah. Three flats of seeds with one light. One light. But why stop there? This all-purpose LED with precisely tuned red and blue spectrums allows the full range of plant growth. In fact, the Direct Gardening Association has already given Happy Leaf LED their 2017 Green Thumb Award, and it's made in the USA. Hey. All right, get a beer ding for that. <laughs> I've seen it work. I've got one myself. Mike's got a couple at home as well. So I know this would make a great holiday gift for the gardener in your life or for yourself. Um, so go to happyleafled.com for complete kits that will get you up and growing in a matter of minutes. And in three to four weeks, you'll be harvesting greens. Happy Leaf LED, it's about the light. It always is. Yes. I wonder, will it help you make real butter? I had to play that. <laughs> We did this a couple of weeks ago, and I was putting the podcast together, and I accidentally made this happen. Hi, this is Nick Fuller. Oh, no, 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 not that <laughs> one. No, not Nick Fuller. I meant this one. Real butter. We were on the floor laughing I was. I know. It's, this is how we get. This is how slap happy we get here and how amused uh, at ourselves. Uh, but meanwhile, uh, how the heck did it get to be December 18th? More than a few of us are asking that question, and if you have a gardening friend, it's hard to look out at the snow and think about a great gardening gift. That's why I'm here to put your mind at ease. It's simple. That's why you're here. That's that's the only reason, believe me. Grab a greeting card and tell your friend or family member they're not the same thing, you know. Friends and family members are different. They're different species altogether. That they will be getting Chicago Land Gardening Magazine all year. There's all kinds of great stuff in there. Present company and his column accepted, like great articles, fabulous photos, calendars, gardening tips, and more. Chicago Land Gardening Magazine, a publication of state by state gardening magazines. Go to chicagolandgardening.com to order that gift for your friend and or relative. And remember, they're not. The same thing at all. Uh, But if you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600, 888-265-3600. In a couple of minutes here, the guy who's going with us over to WCGO, 1590 AM, that is meteorologist Rick DeMaio, and we're very happy about it. Stay tuned for that. Hey, this is Peggy. When I speak at local events, people often ask me, aren't you the Peggy in the Natural Awakenings ads? And that makes me happy because it reminds me that Chicagoans want to live healthier lives, and Natural Awakenings magazine helps them do just that. Natural Awakenings is the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. Each month, we bring you the latest information about health and wellness, complementary medicine, fitness and exercise, raising healthy kids, and even healthy pets. 
You'll find articles about healthy homes, too, including gardening, energy efficiency, and green living. And if you love good food, you'll always find tasty recipes and cooking hints. Check out our monthly calendar. It's full of events to help keep you connected. Natural Awakenings is available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Chicago and suburban Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us online at nachicagonorth.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Trying to weather the housing market? Consider replacing your windows and siding. Remodeling Magazine says they're some of the nation's most popular projects today. Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687 for all your remodeling and energy needs. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of NARI. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com. This is Peggy Malecki of Natural Awakenings Magazine for Chicago Wilderness. You can friend a person on social media, but how do you friend a native plant or animal that's in danger of going extinct? 12 Animals in 12 Weeks is a campaign to support critical species and their habitats in our region. There are more than a half million acres of protected nature in the Chicago area. Sadly, that's not enough to keep key plant and animal life from disappearing. Friend a critical species today. Go to chicagowilderness.org species. In this coming year, I'm going to be discreet. Have the slickers playing music soft and sweet. I resolved to treat Tchaikovsky tenderly and set his second movement off with TNT. Of course, that's our intro to meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Wow, what uh, what floor did I just get off on? <laughs> you, you, I think you 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 got off on the floor, and it's 1947. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, is that it? Yeah. Well, that was that okay, was. Well, I, I like that. It's it's nice to be transported back into time every once in a while. Yeah, and well, that was Spike Jones, um, and uh, um, okay. I pl- a lot of people don't even know who Spike Jones Spike is. Spike Jones in the City Slickers. Yes. That's right, because there's another Spike Jones who's a, a film right. producer. Spike Lee. Or a Sp- no, no, there's a Spike, Spike Jones, Jones, too. Oh, yeah. There's a Spike Jones who did a, um, uh, a couple of really cool commercials. Wow. Where uh, are you, Rick? Yeah, he, he, oh, there yeah no, no, he, he, did, he did some amazing, I forget exactly when he did those, but uh, yeah, he was. Who did? Uh, who did? Spike Jones? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. And then I think he went on to do uh, some films. So I would, uh, she's going to look at right. I bet Peggy will find the Spike Jones oh. films. No? Uh. Spike, uh, and it might be spelled with a Z. I don't know. That's a possibility. Yeah, J-O-N-Z or something yep. like that. But the Spike Jones musician and band leader's real name is Lindley Armstrong Spike Jones. There you go. So that was his real name. How oh, about okay. that? Lind- oh, all right. Good. All right. So and, there you- and it's, <clears throat> yeah, the other producer's J-O-N-Z-E. G- right, 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 right. And what's uh, what's Jones. Uh, what's Jones done? Jones. What what did he do? Um, 
I, yeah, I thought he did a couple of Nike commercials. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on that. It's possible. Maybe that was Spike Lee. Yeah, there's Jones. And he did Dirt Magazine. Um, Maybe I'm wrong about the films. I thought there was a... No, it says he's a producer, director, and writer. Uh, the film Her, Where the Wild Things Are, Bad Grandpa. That's the one, yeah. And Being John yeah, Malkovich. Oh, my goodness. I've seen a couple of those. I saw Her. Yeah. No, not Her. Yeah, I think it was her. That's the one about the, Kevin Klein. the artificial intelligence, or is it a different one? I don't know. All right. Anyway, but I've seen Being John Malkovich, which is a very bizarre film. Oh, great movie. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's, it's pretty funny. Um, so are you warm today, Mr. DeMaio? Yeah, yeah I, just, I just came back from a walk. You know me. I like. Yeah, I know you do. You're, well, you know, and a meteorologist, and I do the same thing. Uh, you got to go out and experience it. If it's going to oh, be zero, right. that's exactly it. Right, that's exactly it. And we're all we're all touched in some way or another. And you ask most meteorologists what their favorite weather is, and they always say um, they may hate driving in the snow. And this is like one of those great questions to ask people, um, as opposed to walking in the snow. And by far, the number is so much higher for walking in the snow. People don't mind it, but as long as you're dressed for it, and as long as you don't have to have, um, you know, like nice shoes or something like that. So I. You know, got up this morning, put on my uh, my boots, my long johns, uh, my thick uh, sweater, my big coat, my hat, my gloves, and I walked four blocks to Jewel and picked up some provisions. <laughs> Actually, no, not Jewel. Whole Whole Foods. I went to Whole Foods. Oh wow! And well, um, that yeah, and it, it's you know, I don't I don't mind it one bit. There's something about the air. Um, the next day after it snows uh, has that kind of minty minty fresh you know winter feeling and it, uh, is, are you talking about a toothpaste or the weather i just have this yeah, commercial in my head now of rick all bundled up <laughs> he's got his big floppy hat on pulling a little sled behind him with provisions and the well, minty yeah, fresh actually, air I, I i i take my backpacks so i stuff it in there so i don't have to carry anything oh no sled behind you more work no, no, but I did, I did see a couple of people pulling their kids, and obviously that's going to last about a half block. <laughs> but at least they say they did it. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, and, and actually the, the wind isn't too bad yet. It will probably pick up a little bit later on this morning through the early afternoon hours. And the, the core of the cold air is still to the north and west of us. So this is what I call bearable cold. You know, I think it's four above, and the wind's like out of the northwest is 15 uh, to me, it was actually worse Wednesday night. Um, I think it was like five above, and the wind was like gusting at 30 miles an hour. That was just brutal. Um, and then the snow last night obviously wasn't the best, but I drove all the way back and to and from the Allstate Arena um, in it. It wasn't the most pleasant to drive in, but as long as you go slow and you're fine, you're okay. Um, so 2.2 inches officially at O'Hare, um, three at the National Weather Service. We got 1.2 on uh, on Friday. So, again, we get these, these two parters, uh, and the first part actually produced about two to three inches across northern Lake McHenry into the Rockford area. But just over the state line, Mike uh, and Peg, there was anywhere between five and seven inches in uh, Racine, Kenosha, and Walworth County. So, again, these, these bands of snow that move through on the front side of these systems, um, they're, they're kind of tough to really nail down where they're going to end up, uh, you know, four, five, six hours out. But when you add up the first part and the second part of this event, um, officially uh, 3.5 inches, I think, you know, 3.6 inches fell um, at O'Hare, about three inches across the northern uh, southern suburbs, 
Um, and if you add up the stuff that came through on Friday, uh, there were some areas in the northern suburbs far north uh, that will end up with six to seven inches. So this is going to go down the books um, as a three to six inch event. I think most of us were calling for about four to six, maybe a little bit more. So this is in the ballpark. It's not bad. And for the season so far, we're up to 17.8 inches, Wow, which is remarkable considering that we officially haven't gotten to the winter solstice yet and also minus 6.8 um temperature wise so we're 6.8 degrees below normal mm. think about that we were literally literally 6.8 degrees above normal for the month of november so literally a 12 to 13 degree you know temperature swing from one month to the next and we're only halfway through the month of december wow yeah that is yeah. that that is pretty well, amazing and well, i and i was i didn't have to drive last night which was great uh but i uh, i had i was doing some gigging on uh friday and you you said like what was it one to two inches on Friday something like that, um, yeah. And it, go on. I'm sorry. It, well, I'm just gonna say it was impossible. I mean, as it was falling down, it was like the all of the cities: Chicago, Evanston, Park Ridge. Every town I went through um, was there. They couldn't get it done uh, fast enough. Right. And then, right. and when right. I went home, it was fine. But getting out to right. uh, it was just terrible. It was it, it, nothing was moving. Yeah, it was one of those situations where you know you have snow falling at a, at a pretty good rate on ground temperatures that are literally probably fifteen to eighteen degrees Fahrenheit, and you know salt doesn't work too well mm-hmm. at that. Um, so yeah, that 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 could have been a lot worse because um, I actually went out from Evanston down to Lincoln Center or Lincoln Square actually. Um, at about seven, and it was pretty treacherous going down Western Avenue. But on the way back, it was it was fine. It just just had to you know keep your distance, keep your speed. Um, and it's interesting. We say keep your distance, keep your speed. I don't know if you guys feel this way, but you know we had this you know fifty car pileup. Not we, but outside of Baltimore, um, just I think it was on Friday mm-hmm. yesterday. And then there was another event that happened in Michigan. Uh, a couple of weeks ago in one in Ohio, you know, I hate to say it, but I don't remember having this many large-scale multi-vehicle accidents so early in the winter. And, I, and I, I have to think, guys, that this is probably attributed to people either, you know, A, driving too fast, driving beyond the limit of what they think their car can do, or, or simply not paying attention because they're probably textbook, texting or Facebooking. I don't know if you feel that way, but... I, I got a feeling that this is the trend of, of what's beginning to happen more so on the highways. I, I would guess that it's more the latter than the former. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably the con- the combination of slick roads and texting uh, is is a pretty bad combination, right there. Yeah, it, it's but I I'm, and you know all you need is one or two people to do the wrong thing, and you have you know five or six cars pile up, and next thing you know, everybody just keeps sliding into one another. No, not the kind of thing that we want to talk about this morning, but <laughs> why not? But it just seems that there's more and more of that of that. Yeah. This, this one I've never I've never seen that before. You know, three hmm. fifty car pileups. It's just I just it it just rings a bell because I you know I, I guess I kind of keep track of that. Yeah, you do. Um, That's your job. But, <laughs> that Baltimore one was a mess. It was just like tons of semis. I think they said that a tanker had rolled off a bridge and right. Yeah, didn't mm-hmm. one explode? Yeah. It rolled off and then it, yeah. w- it went up in flames. You yeah. Think, yeah, everyone was too yeah, busy texting was, about it and they the, the, hit each other. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look! Hey, look! There's, a, there's an accident up ahead. Whoops! 
Yeah, they, they, they hear about it, and the first thing you do is you go to your phone to see where it is, and next thing you know, you're, 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 you're not it. paying attention. And, you know, all it takes is literally sometimes two seconds. You're out of the groove, and next thing you know, your car is sliding. Yeah. So, um, I, I had just, one of those in know, Michigan just, once. Yeah. I, yeah we narrowly avoided more more. one yeah. of those multi-car pileups because I was in the left lane, and it was literally you hit the brake because everyone was stopped, and the car just starts. And I, I, could, I was able to dive off. Mm-hmm. On the left-hand side, but Yikes. you can't get out of them once you once you're in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, once you're in them, you're, you're you're right about that. So so it's it's interesting to note that you know the Bears are playing today, and uh, um, Skilling's Weather Center over at WGN posted this great uh, story in the Tribune about the top ten coldest Bears mm-hmm. games. Yeah, um, you sent I that think, along. I yeah, I don't know if. Did did they include Wrigley Field on that? I don't know if you can pull that up. I think they might have. I'm almost positive, um, but I don't know if they did. I don't know if you can look that up because I, I I'm looking at it up. right now. Uh, let's see. I think they began playing in, in Soldier Field in like what seventy three or seventy four. Uh, it might have been. This, let's see. Yeah, Chicago There's, Tribune was Soldier Field. There's a 77, okay, so, 89, right. so, 23. So it was just Soldier Field. That's what I thought. Yeah. I think they said since That's 63 was when they started tracking these. Okay. All right. So I, I, I thought they I thought they were playing, and they were playing in Soldier Field already by 63. I didn't realize that. Um, well, like, well, in any event, um, this will probably, if they start in the next hour, which they will, um, could go down is I would think right now probably in the top three or four because I think the coldest one is game time temperature of two above and right now I think it's like five um, but uh, you know it's interesting because I, I've been at Soldier Field uh, both old and new and the new one is much much more weather friendly and it has, it's a much taller field you don't have the wide openness that you had at old Soldier Field so as cold as it is it's probably not going to have as much of an effect on on the players or the fans but you know, nonetheless, when you're sitting outside like that, just literally just <laughs> whenever they show people sitting that they're just they're, they're not moving. If you notice that, and, and, you <laughs> that's because they're frozen to the chair. They're just, they're just sitting there. <laughs> well, the, aren't you like supposed to keep moving? You need to keep moving. That's what you need to do. Well, well yeah, that, that's what that's what the, that's what the team is for from a standpoint of scoring. You stand up and you know, jump up and down. But when they're not doing that, you're just sitting there. But it always everybody just seems like they're like they're doing an Abe Lincoln, you know, just like <laughs> sitting on the big chair or something. But that's kind of uh, weird. Yeah, be- this could end up being. Yeah. Um, you know, this can end up being uh, in the top three. But there's some good news. Yes. Um, even though we've had, you know, this um, amazing amount of, of cold come all the way south um, and, and an incredible amount of snow, um, the pattern does seem to relax a little bit. Um, incredibly cold tonight, only due to the fact that we get this big flat area of high pressure. So it literally just sits over us and goes clear and calm. Um, and I guarantee you tonight, Late tonight, tomorrow morning, it'll feel cold because we can easily see temperatures down to about 15 degrees below zero. Uh, but there's not going to be any wind. So there's not going to be any wind chill. Uh, so this could be one of those things where you wake up tomorrow and it's really cold, but there's very little wind. But it'll actually feel colder um, midday tomorrow into tomorrow afternoon wow. when the wind's being to turn around to the southwest at about 15 to 20 miles an hour. So it could easily be almost feeling colder 
when it's about 10 above tomorrow afternoon, the wind is out of the southwest at 20 miles an hour, where tomorrow morning the wind's not going to be anything to deal with. So super cold tomorrow, moderating on Monday, um, and Tuesday and Wednesday we can actually get above freezing. Could be a little snow around here on Wednesday, and then even maybe next week, but the pattern does begin to ease a little bit. It doesn't get super warm, and we don't get it much above freezing, but, but the real blast of Arctic air, which was – you know, the stuff that we had on Friday right? Uh, and then today and tomorrow, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go away pretty quickly. Good, because I got some outdoor caroling next week. So uh, Thursday and Friday at the Morton Arboretum, I will be there. Uh, and that's by then it's going to be a little bit warmer, right? Uh, Thursday and Friday will be a little bit warmer. There are some signs that there's another storm coming our way for the weekend, believe it or not. Yikes. But that has been all over the place. Yeah, the pattern is kind of going through a little bit of a flux right now. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of becoming um, somewhat uh, – last week it was easy to predict seven days out. This this pattern, three or four days out, and that's about it. You know, oh, really? Words, hmm. you know, yeah, we're, we're, it, it's beginning to – it's beginning to kind of – last week we had this big, fat polar vortex, which I'm glad no one said um, in the media. <laughs> but we were, we were talking about it. The meteorologist was – this thing, Mike, was – was literally centered uh, right over Churchill, Manitoba, um, and it was probably one of the coldest ones I've ever seen for so early in the year. Um, matter of fact, at 18,000 feet, uh, the air temperatures, because at 18,000 feet, you're about halfway up the atmosphere. That's what we call the steering level. 18,000 feet, the center of this thing had an air temperature of minus 58 degrees Fahrenheit yes. at 18,000 feet, wow. which is minus 50 centigrade. Normally, you'll see minus 45, minus 46 centigrade, but not minus 50. Um, and this is actually a byproduct of what we've seen when you get these really mild, you know, patterns that develop. You have to get cold someplace. So all the cold literally gets bottled up in one area. And then when it dumps into your region, that's what you end up getting. Um, so, again, when, when you hear people say, oh, so much for global warming, we've had such a cold December, this is a byproduct of climate variability is you get these high degrees of flip-flopping from one thing to the other. And this is pretty much where we're in right now. Well, we made the mistake uh, somewhere along the line of calling it global warming. And now we're paying the price right, for that. But because I, the planet I, you know, is actually getting heating up, there's just no way around oh, it. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, yeah, it, 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 it was it was it, it was wrong to call it that, but um, I think we've um, you, you know you go to most scientific conferences and uh, it, it's not even called climate change anymore. It's called climate variability and change, um, and I think that's a good thing. And um, I'm looking forward to when I head out to uh, Seattle uh, the second week of um, September. I'll be not participated in the conference, but obviously um, uh, attending it and getting a lot of. Um, uh, getting a lot of insight and and also it, it's it's always amazing to get to get into these discussions here and there and it's not so much the the talks themselves but it's usually the things after that people really get involved in in expressing their ideas and opinions and sharing theories and facts and I think that's one of the greatest one of the best things about you know science is you're always pushing yourself to see how far you can um, test your limits to understand things. Well, you know, and are you talking about next September? Um, did I say September? I meant January. Oh, he said September. I thought he was planning ahead. Yeah, I thought, okay. But, but the good news is, see, uh, you'll have all those scientists mm -hmm. in, in uh, Seattle, and none of them will be in D.C. 
um, uh, or in the administration, uh, because that's not the way what we're planning for the next four years. So you got to have them someplace. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's going to be um, a big, oh. big deal. You know, there was this um, event that took place in San Francisco. I think I sent you information that last week or, or two weeks ago, um, the, the, the geophysical union, which is more so a group of scientists who represent, you know, physics and the physical atmosphere, the physical you know, oceanography, things like that, uh, attended this big conference in San Francisco. I think it was about 600 of them uh, wrote a letter to Donald Trump um, for, I don't know, maybe Ivanka is going to get it first and pre-read it or something. Uh, <laughs> and it was all about whether or not, you know, he plans or, or what are his plans for the future, you know, because when we had that, you know, political uh, lever change dramatically in Australia, you know, a few years back, basically most of the you know, the top scientists who were involved in climate change research were basically let go. And, you know, if it happened in Australia and, you know, thankfully that Looney Tune president has now been ejected from his seat. But and it could, if it happened there, it can probably happen here as well. And if there's one place where they really need to understand climate change, it's in a country like Australia, who's very limited with their natural resources. Yeah. And some people may say we aren't here, but um, it was it was it was great. To, to see my, my students from this last week, their presentations for the different cities around the world, I think truly understood that it's not so much about, you know, what's happening now, it's, it's what's happening in the future because they all looked at transportation and, 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 and limited amount of, of coal resources and look how much um, China has actually done quite a bit, believe it or not, with wind and solar. Uh, just in the last year, and their their CO2 emissions in China have actually gone down a little bit, um, but yet that we don't think that's going to be a long-term trend. And yet you look at cities like Australia, which is pretty much less than 10% of the population uses public transportation, and 80% of their energy comes from coal, um, yet they have this vast network of you know wind and solar that they can utilize, and they don't. Mm. So there's, there's so many great opportunities from an economic standpoint um, that that I think continued to be out there, whether or not, you know, this country is going to take advantage of being a part of it or, you know, saying, no, we're by ourselves. So hmm. um, I think these students have got a good, good framework. You know, it's nice when you can get 80 students in two different classes for 16 weeks and, and you finish it off by going, so did you guys learn something? <laughs> I always tell them that. I go, did you learn something? By, the, by this end of the year, their brains are like little French fries. You know, they're, they're crinkled cut right at this point. It's hard to get stuff in there. And every once in a while, you have to sometimes shake the cage and go, did you learn something? Uh, so I always, always, always finish up with tell me five things that you learned. Because it's true, we go through a whole semester. You may not understand a lot of the stuff that you studied until someone actually pulled it out of your brain. So hopefully I was able to do that, and hopefully other teachers are doing the same thing. That's great. That's great. You know, yeah. we still have to have those students on mm-hmm. the show. We were going to have uh, with their project. With the project, so yeah, it, we'll, we'll we'll get them in next semester. All right, we'll get them next semester, and and next semester, of course, we will be at uh, WCGO fifteen ninety AM, begin, yeah. beginning uh, the seventh of January, and and you said you're going to be part of the program. Yeah, I, I think when I showed them the picture of me in your um, in your studio, they said we have to go there, and I go, "Oh, don't worry about it. We'll be in a real studio." Next <laughs> well, time. you don't have to go there now. It's going to change. And uh, Ron Cowgill from Mighty House is actually going to help them rebuild uh, this. Not here, uh, CGO. Mm-hmm. He's he's right. he's he's going. He went in there 
And when Mighty House decided to be part of uh, uh, the Saturday morning uh, block with um, this show, uh, my show, um, he said, "I'm going to help them rebuild yeah. that studio." And he's already wor- they're already working yeah. on it. They're going to do with it. His laser That's level, great. taking yeah. notes, and yeah, they're going to do a, a reconstruction uh, the week after Christmas. So that's going to be pretty amazing. Good. Ooh, Good. we have a shiny new studio. Yeah, for January seventh. Yeah, that, that'll make it a little bit more appealing. You got to understand, these kids that live a pampered life. So. <laughs> yeah, you know they get uh, they get these uh, TV meteorologists to come and teach them. That's that's what I call yeah. pampered. No, I mean, have you seen <laughs> these dorms lately? They're 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 walking in with with computers and playstations and flat screens on like oh, I didn't have that in college like give me a break you know whatever whatever happened to the hot plate you know and 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 the little coffee the, pot the hot plate and the little the cube coffee. refrigerator yeah electric. that's right the little cube refri- refrigerator right? yeah they live a charmed life so um <laughs> once in a while it's it, I don't know. It's, it's different. It is, and you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe we were different than our parents were as well. So I believe we were. I believe we were. Yeah. Uh, but listen, and um, the weather will be different as well. So we'll use that as a platform to get into the forecast. So yeah, let's do that. Um, yeah, zero to five today. Uh, wind chills about twenty below. So again, um, snowfall range from about two to three inches across the southern suburbs total. Uh, to about four to six inches across the north, and now we're up to 18 inches at O'Hare officially uh, for the month. I don't know where that stands compared to where we were with the winter of 78, 79. If I find that out, I'll send it to you. Uh, but, you know, normal snowfall for the month of December is only about six inches, so already 300% of normal. Uh, 620 degrees below normal. Um, that's through yesterday. Um, for the month, and I'm sure t- you know today and tomorrow we'll knock another two degrees off of that. Um, I was amazed, Mike, how much ice there is already on Lake Michigan. Mm. Um, now today with the west wind, you're probably not going to see much, but uh, the other day with the slight southeast wind, the ice went out almost two miles. And whenever you have snow on top of ice, it obviously adds to the you know the visual part of it. So the lakes dropped, <laughs> the temperatures dropped off quite a bit. Um, 15 below tonight. I don't think we're going to break a record. Uh, probably only 10 below here in the city, uh, but the record is 14 below. The 15 below is probably going to be more so up by the Fox River, but we'll be close. We'll get close to that. That's 14 below. That that was back in 1983. That was a wickedly cold December. Oh, I remember that. Like. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, Peg, you probably remember that as well. That was one of the coldest Decembers ever um, in the history of Chicago. <laughs> I know because I was I was up in Madison. Uh, that was my first December up there, and I was like, how do you people do this? It was brutally cold. I mean, and here I am walking back and forth from a from a, a house well off campus to campus. And, I mean, thank God we didn't have phones that, back then that needed to be, you know, charged up because the, the, the cold probably would have sucked the, the, the energy out of it. But it was that was a brutal, brutal mm-hmm. month um, in 83. Um, so 15 tomorrow for a high, but a very windy, cold 15, but sunshine. Mid twenties on Tuesday, and then uh, low thirties. We'll get we'll get above freezing briefly on Wednesday. Uh, could be some snow to the north of us, and then we'll cool down a little bit back into the upper twenties for um, Thursday and Friday. Maybe some more snow by the end of the week. But the bottom line is, it, it's amazing how our bodies get accustomed to this. You get, each time you knock five degrees off the temperature, you go, "Oh, that's not so bad. It doesn't feel as bad." So tomorrow it won't, will feel bad because of the wind, but by Tuesday and Wednesday, it'll feel a lot nicer out. 
All righty. Uh, Mr. DeMaio, we will be talking soon about what time we'll do our new segment. And uh, unfortunately, we're... We're going to be, have limitations. There's going to be we're, – we're getting back to real radio there where they, they have to give us uh, hard breaks. Oh, that's okay. No problem. That's okay. I'm fine with that as well. Okay, great. Hey, uh, listen, Merry Christmas. Happy – I got your card yesterday, by the way. Um, oh, good. Good. Yep. Yeah, I guess we don't have a show next Sunday, right? Nope. No, nope. Sh- no, no next, show. No show next Sunday or New Year's Day. So ha- enjoy a few uh, weeks off here. Okay, thanks, and uh, pleasure to be uh, with both you and Peg, and um, uh, as you hear, my microwave just beeped, so I'm going to have my vegetarian burrito right now. <laughs> All right, you go do that. Perfect timing. And, and and happy holidays to both of you. We'll be in touch. Take care. Happy holidays, Rick. So long, Rick. Okay, all right, bye. Bye-bye. All right, now, uh, just remind people, this is the final show. This is- this of the year, year at Q4. and at Q4. Although I've talked to the Q4 people, I don't know. We, we haven't worked anything out yet. It's possible that we might put podcasts on mm-hmm. the air here. I I don't know if 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 they're interested, but uh, I have mentioned it, and we still need to talk some more. Um, so that's a possibility. But follow us at uh, 1590 um, WCGO, uh, and, uh, of course, at MikeNovak.net. I'm still going to have the podcast there, and you can always do it mm-hmm. that way. And, and poor Casey Tomato. Out in uh, in Casey, uh, who has to uh, use u- use the app. So sorry, buddy. Yeah, well, Annie sorry, and you, everyone else. And Annie, the, yeah. The app or the the website. Or yeah, and it's it's easy. It's and easy peasy. We'll probably still be streaming through Facebook. And we might even have real butter. Just had to play that. Where's Yoko? Well, uh, you want to play? <laughs> no. Uh, you don't want to hear Yoko? <laughs> uh, how about how about this? All right, since we just had, in honor of Mr. DeMaio, who we just had on the program. But let's, I've got one more little special thing, uh, and that is different, different ending today. I think you'll like this. It's not what you think it is. Taking photos here. Oh, can I can I put this on? I can't. All right. How about like this? All right. Trying to use my top hat here with uh, headphones, and it doesn't work. So. All right. I want to thank everybody who was on the show today. If I can find my cheat sheet, which is here someplace. Well, we'll start with Ron Cowgill. Ron Ron Cowgill from Mighty House. And don't forget that they will be on before the Mike Novak Show at WCGO starting January 7th, Saturday morning. 7 to 10 is Mighty House, 10 to noon, the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, So thanks to Ron Calgill. Thanks to Audrey Fisher. uh, Thanks to Dr. Fabio Falchi, Dr. Mario Mata, uh, and uh, to Patrick O'Neill from... Amp your good, and of course, Rick DeMaio, meteorologist extraordinaire, who will be joining us at our new facilities. Um, have we got anything else here? Is, is oh, and uh, give us a quick plug for Natural Awakenings. The January already Natural Awakenings will be out. Actually, gets delivered Friday, and it'll be out starting the day after Christmas. Really? Yes. You guys are working hard oh, to yeah. get that out. It hasn't even gone to the printer yet. So. <laughs> 
guess what I'm doing. Yeah, I, I, I know what you're doing. Well, uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Wait, where was my... Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, but also Happy Chris Mahana Kwanzaa to you. I, I stole that from Stephanie Miller. Yeah, so... And, uh, no, have a great holiday. And we didn't say, go green or go home. I know. I thought of that as you turned the mics off. It's okay.